This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Big Squid. Hold on to your Ventolin, kids. We're going full nerd with today's show. I'm going to give you a spoiler-free review of Tenet where I'll discuss my reaction to the movie experience without giving anything away that happens in the plot. I know some of you are in places where the movie hasn't been released yet, maybe you're in lockdown, or maybe you're just not confident of going to the theatre at this point in time. So I promise you this first review at the top of the show will barely scratch the surface, but it will instead give you a sense of how the movie felt. Then B105's Breakfast Radio host Stav Davidson jumps on board to discuss the trailers released over the weekend, from the new Wonder Woman to Zack Snyder's Justice League. I think maybe Stav and I had different experiences with that trailer. And of course, Robert Patterson's version of The Batman. From there, we'll bring in Ben Elwood to continue our Nolan retro chats, this week covering Batman Begins, which is a nice bit of accidental synchronicity. Then after my chat with Elwood, what I'll do is I'll give you a tenant review with spoilers, and Stav will return to talk about what he thought of the movie as well. So essentially, in honour of the word tenant being a palindrome, this podcast is going to reflect itself with greater meaning in the end. So just in case you missed it, the review of Tenet with spoilers will be right at the end of the podcast. So you can skip it or just leave it for another time because I desperately don't want to ruin your experience of seeing the film, okay? 
And don't worry, when we get there, I'll make sure that I warn you before it starts again, just in case your mind wanders and then you realise you're into the spoiler review. I'll give you plenty of notice. But let's kick this off now with the spoiler-free review of Nolan's latest blockbuster. All I have for you is a word. Tenet. It'll open the right doors. Some of the wrong ones, too. Use it carefully. To do what I do, I need some idea of the threat we face. As I understand it, we're trying to prevent World War III. I'm not saying I'm getting here. No. Something worse. I gather you have an interest in a certain Russian national. Mike, bring me in. You really want to know? He can communicate with the future. Time travel? No. Inversion? Name it and pull the trigger. You're shooting the bullet. You're catching it. Oh. Well, I've seen too much. Well, we'll try and keep up. Nolan's latest movie is the type of widescreen action we've become accustomed to over the years, and as a spectacle, this movie doesn't disappoint. Nolan has said in previous interviews that he wants to entertain audiences and remind us of the ways we used to feel about movies when we were kids, when we were experiencing something for the first time. So for me, seeing his movies recalls the feelings of awe I felt, say, the first time I saw Raiders of the Lost Ark, or the beauty of Blade Runner, or the sheer majesty of Christopher Reeve's Superman. I didn't do any reading about Tenet in the lead-up because I just wasn't certain when I'd have an opportunity to see the movie. So I had a fun time in the cinema realising what was going on as it unfolded. Nolan hasn't been shy in talking about this being a spy movie, particularly the Bond films he grew up with, and his movie feels like the knitted-together memories he might have of those 007 films. To use an analogy to describe this movie experience, I once had a friend go with me to see NBA basketball games in Los Angeles, and he said to me after we saw the Lakers play, the NBA is a game where they took out all the rules that make it boring so it is constant fun. And I feel this is what Nolan has done with the spy genre in Tenet. He plays around with the genre, embracing some tropes that allow you to hit certain beats, but he's taken out the parts that he obviously doesn't have much interest in. As an example, there's the hint of a femme fatale, but she never parades around in a bikini, she doesn't attempt to seduce anyone, and her relationship with the protagonist is built on necessity and not lust. It moves along at a cracking pace with one set piece after another, each one filling the screen and making you feel like you're a part of the action. John David Washington is fantastic in the lead role. I thought he was great in Black Klansman and he shows just the perfect amount of swagger on the big screen. Elizabeth Debicki continues to be a magnetic presence, whether it's on the small screen or on the big screen, and she is pitch perfect in her role, as too is a barely recognisable Aaron Taylor Johnson. 
Kenneth Branagh hits his role right in the sweet spot. But for me, Robert Patterson once again proves he's the actor we all have to keep an eye on. He is on such a fascinating role with his movies of late, and the choices he makes in Tenant in his performance are full of quirky charisma that consistently draws you into whatever it is he's doing at any given moment. Clements Posey, Dimple Kapadia, and Himish Patel all round out this fantastic cast. And let's not forget Michael Caine, who has a wonderful cameo. I love this movie, but have to admit that a lot of what was presented appealed to me on every level. Let me put it this way. If you know me and what I'm into, the only thing it is lacking is David Bowie suddenly appearing in a ball of lightning. I'm certain there will be people who won't enjoy this film for a few reasons. One, it is loud, and if you don't like that about Nolan films, then this is not the one that will win you over. It has a confusing plot, and I think it can be viewed as a little cold with not enough character beats to help you feel emotion for the characters. I don't know if I agree with that. I think there are a lot of subtle character beats that tell you a lot about each character, and sometimes, to really appreciate these moments, you have to think about the consequences after the movie to unravel those connections. But also to complain that you didn't get enough emotional resonance in this movie is to me like complaining, I don't know, after a roller coaster ride that you didn't get enough insight into the human condition. As one of the characters states early on, don't try to understand it, try to feel it. And that's what I did. I felt this movie, a spy movie, lingering at the edges of my memory and I've only just remembered how much I loved it in the first place. This movie doesn't have the emotional wallop that I felt in Interstellar and Dunkirk, but it does have the thrills I experienced with Inception. To me, this isn't just Nolan's Bond, this is his Jason Bourne, his Mission Impossible, all infused with the tropes that make me a fan of his work. There were quite a few moments where I was so locked into the ride, I could feel the hair standing up on my arms, thrilled to be watching an original movie that doesn't have a relationship to any other medium or franchise. At the very least, while I was in the cinema, I completely forgot about the stresses I have felt all year and was totally locked into the adventure taking place on the screen. If that is all the movie achieved, then I say that alone makes it a success. It was a big weekend with DC and Warner Brothers unveiling a bunch of trailers and announcements for the movies on their slate, so I thought I'd ring Stav Davidson to have a chat about what we saw. Uh, there's a few things that we didn't touch on, like the taste of Suicide Squad that we got and some of the stuff about Black Adam, but we did manage to focus on the bigger properties that were shown off. So without further ado, let's bring in Stav. Stav Davidson, one of the uh, great, true nerdy geeks of our time and uh, a brother-in-arms very much in uh, that regard. Are you a trailer guy? Do you get excited by trailers, or are you a little bit, uh, I don't know about this? I, I went on and off. I got into them um, big time a while ago. Like um, I would check um, iTunes, iTrailers on a, on a daily basis. But then, um, you know, they did start ruining the films. I like the ones where you know that the director has had some control over it. Um, because, you know, Nolan doesn't give away anything in his trailers, and there's a few directors that J.J. Um, Abrams is good for that too. So if I trust the director, I'll tend to watch the movie. Uh, the trailer, sorry, yeah. I don't know if you saw, but uh, about a week and a half ago, I, I just retweeted this thing on Twitter where this guy had shown you how to make the perfect modern trailer, and it was it, it was literally just saying what happens, you know, and 
part of it was add slowed down version of a song and it has ruined trailers for me in such a way where as it will and we'll get to it last but the justice league trailer i was laughing so hard at hallelujah being played over everything and had to go back and rewatch it because i was just enjoying that breakdown way too much yeah, it was. It's. It, it seems to be. And actually, I think there's a documentary about how they are seasonal and how one person will do something like obviously like the womp, and then that was in every one of them. And they they take them and it becomes a thing for a while. They almost burn it, and then they they find something else to do, and it's continually evolving like that. Yeah. The uh, for a while there, there was. I just remember the Lord of the Rings music kept popping up in a lot of trailers as well, and you'd be sitting there going, "I'm having this weird." Like I'm, re- I'm, I'm seeing a visual, but I'm thinking of something else. That's bizarre. Anyway, uh, the the art of the trailer is one that seems to, as you said, there's some directors who are very good at it, and there's some who, I, I still say to this day, I would have enjoyed the movie Funny People more if I didn't realise that Adam Sandler gets over cancer. It felt like when you're watching the movie, that should have been the moment where you you go, oh my god, he's he's not going to die but instead you're sitting there going when's he going to get better yeah well even uh, like subtle things in if a character's in a life-threatening situation but i've seen the trailer and they haven't worn that outfit yet you know <laughs> then you know that they yeah yeah so but you know but i think some some directors um just pass them off to you know go do go do the trailer and then someone will not let that happen and have some sort of creative control over it. So No, I much prefer that. It was a big weekend for trailers. Uh, Wonder Woman 84 dropped a, a new trailer. You didn't. You haven't seen the new one. You've seen the one that's at the cinema, is that correct? Yeah, I saw the one that opens uh, Tenet, um, which, yeah. which looks good. The, the big question for me is um, how they're going to write Christopher Pine back in. I don't know how they're going right. to do that. But it, I'm, I'm, I'm keen. I'm keen. I like Chris Pine, so I'm wrapped that he's back. I'm curious to know how they're going to do it. Were you a fan of the first film? Yeah, loved it. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, I mean, it suffered a bit. Uh, I thought the, the finale was a little bit sort of by the numbers, but up until that point, it was good. And it was good to see David Thewellis kick ass, which, you never, I mean, who would have thought you'd <laughs> ever see that? So, yeah, but she was amazing. And um, that, the you know, out of the trenches scene and um, just the, the the general vibe of it was, was good. I, I did enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. The... Uh, it's funny. I agree totally with you about the ending. There's so many, there's so many superhero films that really make the mistake of going for the big CGI ending. It's the same with the Wolverine, which is a really great film that should have finished with him fighting a hundred ninjas in the snow, and instead we bypass that and go straight to him fighting a CGI silver samurai. And you go, oh, that that ending back there, that was your ending. Yeah, there is that. I don't know if it's just that it's been done so much and it has worked that they just go, big bad guy at the end, fight, you know, where yeah. you go. But... And a vortex. We need a vortex. We need a vortex. <laughs> Sucking everything up. <laughs> the um, I'm excited because it's uh, Pedro Pascal who, you know, is such a good actor. He He somehow was the most charismatic man on TV last year as the Mandalorian and we didn't see his face until the... F- final few seconds yeah managed to not have um his whole uh his whole role be <laughs> defunct by uh baby yoda too like he managed to act side by side with that little thing so oh yeah uh, that 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 asshole stole my heart 
<laughs> God love him. I, I kept seeing it come up on Twitter before I saw it, and I was like, ah, oh, so dismissive. Ah, Baby Yoda, shut up. And then I saw the first episode with Baby Yoda. I said, oh, I hope nothing bad happens to him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but Pedro Pascal is playing uh, Maxwell Lord, which is interesting because in the, uh, you know, that's a fairly, I think it's a, a fairly mainstream comic book character at DC, but it's not necessarily one that uh, permeates uh, outside of the, the comic circles. But there is a, there is a storyline where Wonder Woman snaps his neck. So I'm extremely curious to know where they're going to go. It's, it doesn't seem like the movie franchise would be going in that direction, don't you think? It, it doesn't have a neck snappy vibe in the trailer, no. <laughs> <laughs> it certainly doesn't. <laughs> yeah, very light and fluffy. And um, I think, obviously, Kristen Wiig's an interesting choice for a, a villain as well. So that's going to be interesting. Um, but, you know, it, it's that thing of um, the director did such a good job the first time. I trust her impl- implicitly with the character. And she does have that sort of, you know, she, it's very dear to her. So they're not going to they're not going to stuff it up. Absolutely. Uh, the Wig's delivery of that line when uh, Wonder Woman asks her, have you ever been in love? And she's like, all the time. All the time. Lots, <laughs> lots of times. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And you just immediately go, oh, I... that's a really good grab because I can already see where you're going to take this character. So in the new trailer, I have to tell you, she's playing the villain Cheetah and it kind of looks like maybe she, she was too aggressive for the movie version of Cats. <laughs> well, I got a lot of um, uh, Michelle Pfeiffer Catwoman vibes. Oh, yeah. Well, that's good. Yeah. You know, and that's sort of her Selena Kyle before she, you know, when she's bumbly and, and timid and stuff and then she, she, yeah. she changes. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. Oh, one of the great... Uh, one of the great versions of Catwoman as well for for a, a you know a sidekick character had a lot of iconic uh, characters uh, and actors uh, take on that role. So uh, I'd be totally up for a uh, you know a Michelle Pfeiffer vibe in this um, in this Wonder Woman. And Pine's just really good around jokes, and I like their dynamic together. Uh, I, I do worry a little bit seeing her lasso lightning and flying just because I'm like, it's cool, but I'm just really scared that another vortex is coming uh, our way at yeah, the end. Yeah, 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 yeah. But you know, that shot's cool. It's a cool shot. It's a cool shot. Yeah. She's a good, she's, she's a really good action star. So, you know, just put her in more things where we get to see her actually be physical and, and fighting. That's uh, that's the kind of ending I'd like. But then, see, I forgot that she um, started off in comedy because I just caught a bit of... It's a terrible film, but um, the one she's in with John Hamm uh, and uh, Zach Galifranakis, where they're spies yeah. living next door. Um, yes. Yeah, so she's got, the, she's got the comedy chops as well. She's definitely got the chops, yeah, and she's definitely charismatic. Like, what what's she in Batman versus Superman about nine minutes and she steals the movie. Oh, every time. And that they've done her a really good service with her theme tune. That's a, that's a pumper, yes. you know? Yeah. 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 And such a good one just to, as soon as you hear it, you know, it's her and it's, you know, yeah, it's great. Yeah. The, you know, all good superheroes need that track in the background that you immediately click on. So, uh, look, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, so the Batman trailer, which, Let's be honest, I've already had text messages from you with all the hearts. And I, th- there was a part of me that, in many ways, I feel a little bit done with the character of Batman just because of, 
years of decades of comics and also a lot of stuff that's not really that good uh you know or, or a little bit one note even if you're enjoying the comic and then uh, i watched the trailer and it's robert patterson and i'm like all right well i'm in <laughs> yeah yeah 100 percent. i man i watched it about 20 times um <laughs> I, I went on a, a deep dive and and then the whole colin farrell thing so i knew he was in the movie completely forgot that he was in the movie then thought oh I would have expected him to have shown up. Turns out he shows up heaps and is unrecognisable. Unrecognisable, yeah. Um, someone said, uh, I saw on um, a review, they said they thought it was Richard Kind. Do you know Richard Kind, the actor? <laughs> and if you can make Colin Farrell look like Richard Kind, you give him the Oscar now. That, that makeup artist gets the, gets the Oscar. But, but the tone and the... Or it's Obviously, my favourite is um, the... Um, Batman animated series of the 90s. I think that was pretty much, you know, just nailed the character for everything that it does. And this seems like it's, yeah, it, I, I was saying it looks like it looks like Batman meets Seven, which is a really interesting, you know, idea. I like the, uh, I, I definitely picked up on the Fincher feel. That's, uh, I hadn't specifically thought Seven, but there was definitely a, a kind of Fincher-esque uh, vibe to it. I did a little bit of reading before we chatted. I don't know if you saw this, but uh, the director... Matt Reeves was talking about some of the inspirations were Darwin Cook's Ego, which I read a long time ago, which kind of explores the duality of the character and he's curious to go into. He's obviously a broken person who's trying to do good things and reconciling and learning about himself as he goes along. And I thought, okay, that's interesting, but the movie inspirations I thought were really promising and they were... Chinatown, Taxi Driver, and The French Connection. Oh, yeah. Wow. So so there's going to be a great car chase. Is that is what we can deduce from that? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And the car, suddenly hearing that he was thinking about The French Connection, and then you think about the car in the trailer, and that, that car is designed for a cracking car chase, don't you think? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I was also really impressed with, this might sound strange, but... Um, as an, he's a great actor, but as an African American actor, Jeffrey Wright just nailed Gordon. Like you would look at him and go, "He's playing Commissioner Gordon," and it's not, you know, yeah. you, you've never seen him look like that before. But you just looked at his his face, the way he held his upper lip, and you're like, "Yep, that's 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 Gordon right there." That was that was impressive. And then I'm uh, I, I was born in Glasgow, so I'm there going, "Oh, I know that street. Oh, I know that. Oh, oh, there. Oh, cool." And it's, I think it's going to be it's an interesting choice of city for Gotham. I think so. That's going to be yeah. interesting to watch. Yeah, well, it, you know. That's a tough town, and that's that's going to you know permeate the acting and uh, everything that's going on around it. Uh, I agree with you about Jeffrey Wright. I'm such a big fan of his, and you know we do need more diversity in movies, and Gordon is the perfect uh, character to allow that. And we also get Zoe Kravitz as Catwoman, which I wonder if we'll be getting like an Eartha Kitt kind of vibe going. Mm, yeah, on. yeah. Yeah, it's gonna, and it's that there is that small fear of, uh, and it has happened with Batman movies in the past of it's overstuffed, you know, when it, it's like villain, 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 villain. But um, I know Matt Reeves is is pretty reliable. He knows what he's doing. So, well, you know, he did one of the most impossible things that you could possibly do, and that was he made a really good version of Let the Right One In in America, like. That was a movie that when I was reviewing films, that was one that I went into. And I have to be honest, I was 
completely prepared for just writing jokes about it. That's essentially what I was thinking. And then by the end of it, I was like, well, that was great. You did a really good job with that. And so Cloverfield's a really fun film. Uh, the you know the two uh, Planet of the Apes movies that he made, great. I'm super keen. Patterson looks unbelievable. I don't I don't get the hate. I think he's a reliable. He's a great actor, and he doesn't just. I mean, if it was the week after Twilight was out, you could sort of kick up a stink. But I think he's proven his chops since then. And I mean, the Lighthouse was. I'm still not sure what that was, but it was good. Um, <laughs> And everyone, I mean, everyone hated Keaton, you know, everyone hated um, Ben Affleck when, when he got it. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, and yeah. it, from what I've seen, he looks, he looks great. He's, I think he's going to be an interesting Bruce Wayne. His Bruce Wayne looks quite sickly and you know, like, he's not, he doesn't look like a millionaire playboy philanthropist, blah, blah, blah. You know, he yeah. looks a bit, you know, emo. Vitamin D deficient. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> well, it was filmed in Glasgow. <laughs> yeah, that was a, that was an accident that just came out of filming there. Uh, yeah, I think he'll be uh, fantastic. You know, he's probably you'd think that the hate for him is probably held from the Twilight films, and it's like, but he's made nothing but interesting films ever since then, and 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 you know, we'll we'll rave about him when we get to talking about Tenet a little bit later, but he always makes interesting choices in his performance. By the way, I just need to ask you, with The Lighthouse, where did you see that? Did you see that at the cinema or at home? Yeah, at the cinema. For anyone who hasn't seen it, I'm, I'm just going to speak vaguely, but you know the scene with the seagull, and it's the specific scene. I found that so confronting, and then I could not stop laughing. And then in the cinema... You know, there was probably about a dozen of us in there and I noticed different pockets of these people laughing at different points when the absurdity of it (laughs) hit them. And so it was this real sort of like, I started laughing and then someone over to my left started laughing and then we were both laughing that they'd just started laughing and then that set someone off. And what a weird experience like it's it, it's it's one of the most aggressive love stories i've ever seen <laughs> <laughs> yes it is yes it is yeah and just yeah i mean william defoe is william defoe um I, I went with a friend and we both sort of walked out going what just happened but and you, you could you could see how that's a a lot of people would hate that movie absolutely like probably not even enjoying the 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 ratio that it's filmed in they yeah frustrated the, uh, have you seen the sci-fi film? I think it's called uh, High Life, where it's Patterson on a spaceship. Yeah, I didn't enjoy that one. I didn't get that one. It's a fascinating film. Like, uh, I, I didn't mind it, but he was great in it. Yeah, he was great. Yeah, and it looked amazing, but it was just a bit, it went off. For me, it went a bit off the rails towards the end. I was like, okay. But once again, making interesting film choices. Uh, also, it seems uh, Reeves was saying that for this film, it's it's not an origin story, which is a relief. There's, there's some people's parents I don't need to see murdered anymore. <laughs> I've heard um, he's saying it's about year two. Around year two is sort of the timeline. So I, I think especially the way pop culture is these days, you probably don't need to show any superhero's origin story if he's if yeah. he's a, uh, not a new character. You know, we're all pretty au fait with, with how everyone got to where they, they are, you know. so And that it, it, it gives you an extra 20, 30 minutes to play with plot-wise because, you know, if you're just going to re- yeah. retread the, the the story you've seen before. So, yeah, so I think well, that's a smart choice. Yeah, well, that was a really good move with Tom Holland's Spider-Man. We know his origin. There's his aunt. We're good. 
let's get into it. Before we get to uh, Justice League, I, the watching that trailer for Batman, it made me, you know how Marvel has gotten the rights back to Daredevil and Luke Cage and all of those uh, properties. I really would be into them doing those new movies, but setting it in the 70s. And then you could have a whole range of Marvel movies that are going on that are in their own little bubble and they can still have their interconnectedness in ways but I just feel like after seeing this you think oh yeah I I, I don't want to see Daredevil in an age of surveillance I want to see him like he's in David Simon's The Deuce <laughs> yeah 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 as long as it's still Charlie Cox because he was amazing oh he was great yeah I definitely take three of the four actors <laughs> You don't even need to say anymore. <laughs> and uh, the the final trailer I wanted to talk to you about was... Uh, <laughs> so how do you feel about Snyder's Justice League finally being made? What struck it for me with the trailer is how much footage do they shoot for a film? Because he has used, and I think he said he's used none of... It's it's pretty much none of what has, we've already seen. You know, and it's four yeah. hours long. They must have shot an eight-hour... Um, epic, but um, I'm I'm interested. I didn't actually mind um, the last one. I, I thought it was a bit unfairly beaten up. I, I had a fun time, I, you know. Um, but you know, any chance to see those people do that in in a different form? I'm I'm take my money. You know, I'll go for. And I like I like um, I like his directing style. So yeah, it'd be interesting. I, I kind of didn't care one way or the other. Like when the stuff was going on social media, I was ah oh, god, that's still going. Okay, well you know, good on and. Uh, then when they decided they were going to do it, I'm all in. I want to see it. I want it to be overstuffed. I want it to be over the top. And when they dropped Leonard Cohen in the trailer, it was like this weird matchup of listening to Leonard Cohen while looking at video game Darkseid. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Leonard Cohen would be so proud. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, my song's being used correctly. <laughs> it's a shame that Darkseid is being used in a way because he's such a great character. But it's funny, Thanos in the comics was inspired by Darkseid. And now everyone in the mainstream will know Thanos and think, oh, this this is a ripoff. And it's like being a fan of the monkeys. And then you go and see the movie Help and you think, oh, God, these guys really ripped off the monkeys, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you get that a lot, don't you, people that don't know. It's it's like when you watch The Godfather and you're like, oh, God, this is just doing every mobster trope in the book. And you go, no, but it did it first. <laughs> that's why all the rest of it. This was it. That's a, that's kind of what happened with the John Carter movie. Because it's been strip-mined by so many other films, that it, it just felt like... I, I honestly didn't think that was the worst movie I had ever seen. I actually thought it was fine. But I saw a trailer that a fan made for it, and it was so perfect. Because they what they did was they, they kind of were doing a, you know, before Star Wars, before this, and they were showing all the old original book covers as the start of it. And it really said it that it's like, hey, we're going to show you the thing that inspired all the stuff that you love. And, and then I feel like if you go in with the right context for a for a movie, you have more chance of enjoying it, don't you think? Yeah, definitely. And then when you realise it's not ripping stuff off, but it invented it in the first place, you're like, oh, okay. Well, let's finish this here, and then you and I will come back at the end of the podcast, and we will discuss Tenet without... Like, we're going we're gonna to have spoilers. We're, we're going to be able to talk about it, honestly. So just reiterating for everyone listening right now, 
if you haven't seen Tenet yet, and I understand that we don't want to ruin it for you, that's why we're going to put this right at the end so you can have plenty of time to bail out. We all know the story. A young child witnesses his billionaire parents murdered in cold blood and vows to fight crime so he can bring justice to the city he loves. Yet those broad strokes don't tell the full story of Bruce Wayne, and in 2005, a young Christopher Nolan and his team decided to shine a light on what makes the man under the mask. Starring Christian Bale, Liam Neeson, Gary Oldman, Katie Holmes and Michael Caine, Batman Begins not only reintroduced the Cape Crusader to a whole new generation of fans by shedding the camp of the recent past, it also set the blueprint for superhero origin movies for the next two decades. Tell us, Mr. Wayne. What do you fear? How do you know my name? The world is too small for someone like Bruce Wayne to disappear. Your parents' death was not your fault. My parents deserve justice. I cannot let that pass. If you make yourself more than just a man, then you become something else entirely. Just a legend, Mr. Wayne. After re-watching uh, Batman Begins for, uh, <laughs> like, I've watched it so many times, but I haven't watched them in a long time. Really? Yeah, it's been a few years, I kind of thought you would have been one of those guys that does the annual rewatch. I go through stages. Yeah, right. And uh, But it's been a while, yeah. you know, and... Um, what are we talking, a while for you? Uh, I reckon maybe, a, like, maybe about 18 months. Okay. Yeah. 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 At least enough. 18 months. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I'm wondering if the smartest move that Batman begins uh, as a production pulls off, mm. and it's something that I don't know if anyone really discusses, they use villains that weren't known by the general public. And yeah. do you think that's the the underrated MVP move? Yeah, because I think, uh, I mean, you know, it's Batman Begins, so it's a new beginning. Mm. And I think if you'd gone for the Penguin or the Joker, it would have, you know just got the comparison straight away to the Burton films or the Schumacher right. films. Right, um, So it is just kind of launching itself anew. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, the Scarecrow is one of the great underutilised villains of the Batman uh, universe. Kinda, it's a great concept. Kind of in the comic as well. Don't yeah, you absolutely. Think? Is, it, is it because... Is it because a lot of writers probably don't work hard enough thinking outside of the box totally. as to what his fears are. Totally. So it kind of feels like, in many ways, oh, well, he's afraid of, you know, the people around him dying, and that's been played out. So now, and But he can't keep being poisoned by the Scarecrow. Because yeah. Batman, by his very nature, would come up with an antitoxin. Totally, totally. So what do we do with this guy? Yep. And... Uh, what you know, considering what we were talking about 
beforehand. We, we're recording this on uh, July 21st, and uh, who knows where the world will be when this is released. <laughs> uh, but we were just talking about our general anxieties. Guess mm. what? There's heaps of fears out there. Absolutely. <laughs> and I think that's the thing with the, co- with, with the scarecrow. It's always, they've always gone to the stock standard. Arachnophobia oh, yeah, or fear yeah. of heights. And yeah. fear goes deep. Like, I've never yeah. seen, you know, hypochondria. Exploited yeah. by the scarecrow. Right. You know, fear of illness, fear right. of disease. Like, there's so much you could do with that character. Oh, yeah. I think the Batman animated series, which for my money, uh, not a controversial thing to say, but for my money is the greatest representation yeah. of Batman ever, ever, yeah. ever. Um, they do the scarecrow really well. Yeah, Because right. it's always exploiting Batman's or Bruce's fear of letting his parents down. Right. It always comes back to that original thing right of you know i don't know i, I don't know how, how long it's been since you saw the batman animated series i, I watched the box set that you gave it's me fantastic. so whenever that was it's which fantastic. was yeah so good. i actually recently watched a scarecrow episode and um you know batman's hallucinating that he's on the end of the the gun that killed his parents has grown to oh, this yeah, giant. Yeah. he's like hanging off the barrel of it yeah. and shoots his parents and his Dad's dying in the alley looking at him. You let me down, son. You're not living the life that you were supposed to. It's horrifying. Like, horrifying. And I'd never seen that in a comic before. Or, you know, any subsequent interpretation of that character. I think fear is... Particularly because fear is so personal. Yeah. And so kind of um, specific to the individual. Yeah. You know, um, I think it's a lack of imagination. And having, uh, you know... As Nolan has said in interviews, there was this real gap, funnily enough, in in Batman mainstream mythology or, or entertainment where they hadn't... Like, they talked about his origin, but mm-hmm. they never really dug into it. And so, yeah. at this point, I don't think you really got reboots. Like, this kind of sets yeah. up the reboot or the idea of the reboot. Mm-hmm. For better or worse, mm-hmm. like there's been, you know, some really good things that have come from it. And then you've had things like, you know, the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man, where it's just like, you know what you could have done? You <laughs> yeah. could have just start, you could yeah. have just made two new Spider-Man films yeah. with Andrew Garfield. Yeah, we don't need the, yeah, we don't need the origin. Like, you good. know, I, I, I didn't mind Andrew Garfield as Spider-Man, but I wonder, yeah. it's a millstone around his neck to have to go through what yeah. we've already just seen yeah. not that long ago. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and and there's ways of doing an origin story that you don't need to spend 40 minutes building it up. You can do no. it in little grabs. Flash. I mean, Spider-Verse did it perfectly. Yes. You know, wonderful. There yeah. you go, 30-second origin story, we're done. Yeah. Here we go. Um, the brilliance of the Batman Begins origin story is we're all familiar with the fucking... Wayne's getting shot in the alley right. and the pearls and, yep. you know, fetishized the most by Snyder, as he's wont to do. Uh, and what I loved about this one, it was it, it's reminiscent of a Denny O'Neill yes. uh, story from Legends of the Dark Knight. It was the, the first one, wasn't it? One of the best underrated series of all times, Legends yep. of the Dark Knight. For anyone that doesn't know, it was... Um, there was no chronology to it. It was yep. just random adventures from the first five years of Batman's career. Uh, so and then it was it just allowed writers to, yeah. you know, well, I want to, I want to touch on this era, totally. and, and that meant the stories were, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. such a high quality. Yeah, and you know, you could do Batman's first night, you could do Batman's, yep. you know, first year. You know, yep. he's fighting the mob, he's fighting his first encounter with the Joker, yeah. like whatever you wanted to do. It was a beautiful series. Um, 
And I think a lot of the uh, the great stuff in Bruce's origin is his training. Yes. Um, and it, a lot of what's in Batman Begins comes from Shaman, uh, which yep. is the first uh, arc Danny of yeah Denny O'Neill's yep. arc in Legends of the Dark Knight. Um, so I think that's a masterstroke of you know not just seeing the the killing of the Waynes, but what comes after. And yeah. How, you know the process. Well, even even going further and and uh, giving him. Like seeing him as a little boy, yeah. you know, seeing him as a little boy hanging out with little Rachel Dawes, which yep. I don't think we ever really discuss. And this and this kind of goes into my main criticism of people who criticise the Dark Knight trilogy, <laughs> which is I Uh-oh. often feel like people who shit on the Dark Knight Rises never really watched Batman Begins. Mm. And I reckon if you watch Batman Begins properly, not as a way to get to The Dark Knight, yeah. but you watch it properly, yeah. I think it's a great movie. And I Batman Begins is fantastic. Oh, yeah, but I reckon The Dark Knight Rises oh, Dark Knight is Rises. also great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's it's one of those things where I even saw a, I saw a piece written uh, recently where, you know, someone was criticising the movie for all these things where you're going, you know Tom Hardy's funny. <laughs> like the voice is funny, like you know it's you yeah. know the way Liam Neeson is funny yeah. in this, yeah. and the way the Joker is funny, yeah. and the way the Scarecrow is funny, yeah. and the way Tom Wilkinson is funny, yeah. and you know the way uh, Eric Roberts is funny. Yeah. You know Tom Hardy's funny as well. Of course, I, 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 yeah, of course. You know it's a given. And yeah. I, I saw this whole bit where. This is getting off on a bit of a Dark Knight Rises tangent, but there, there was this. The, the point of this article was people not really understanding the bit at the start when, you know, Aidan Quinn says, "I'm going to take off your mask. Will it be painful?" And he says, "Yes." And and, and he says, "You're a big guy. You can handle." It. He says, "For you." And For you. Like, and they were trying to work out, you know, what does that like? Is he saying that it'll be painful because he's going to hurt him, or like, what does he? Or is he saying, "I'm a big guy for you," and it's uh. like, mate. It's actually just a joke. Yeah. Like, it's a funny line. Yeah, I don't know it's a what, funny yeah. line. He's saying, I'm going to take, is it going to be painful? For you. Yes, for you, because if you take it off, I'm going to snap your neck, yeah. you piece of shit. Yeah, like, yeah, that's yeah, the joke. Exactly, yeah. Like, don't make me explain the joke, because then the joke's not funny. Yeah. Why are you so stupid? Everyone yeah. who disagrees with me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, um, no, no, absolutely. But, it's, but, yeah. But, um, so the scarecrow is, is a great idea. Uh, Mm. villain to bring into this and it allows us to really uh, give Bruce some depth and we'll get into Bruce a little bit later and we you know him as a kid and even like one of the things and it's such a small thing but one of the things that I really love Mm. is that he's playing with Rachel and she shows him the thing and he's and she says you know find his keepers and he says you know it's my yeah you know he's a bit of a shit yeah he's a bit of a rich fucking shit Mm -hmm. and this is why when you see people talk about, you know, and I, and I do agree with this as a broad concept that not every superhero needs to be a white man. Like mm. you can make them uh, different nationalities and yep. different races and different yep. religions. You know, I, I, I definitely tie into that, mm-hmm. uh, uh, buy into that. But part of Batman's origin is he is a man of privilege. Absolutely. And old money. Absolutely. And that's just a, a, a nice, it's just a nice little taste. Yeah. And then, so... So I like that. And then Ra's al Ghul mm-hmm. is such a master stroke in this because this is also a movie about fathers mm-hmm. and father figures. Yep. And there are 
and they all have an influence on Bruce. Yep. And we get we get the kind the kindness and the, and the humor from Alfred mm-hmm. and the acceptance and the acceptance. Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Such a good point. Mm. Yeah, you know, he even says it. You know, when after he's been racing in the car and he says, "What's this?" and Bruce says, "Damn fine television." And he and he said, "You know." The only reason I didn't put you in the loony bin, yeah, 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 <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. because but he has accepted. You get yeah. you get the moral compass of of uh, Gordon. Mm-hmm. You get the you get the intellectual uh, acceptance from Lucius because it's such yes, a such course. a great underrated moment. You don't have to tell me what you're doing, but don't think I'm an idiot. Mm-hmm. And that at that moment, that friendship, yep. like this, those guys are solid. Totally, Do you know what I mean? Totally, yeah. But of course, you get the stuff that's obvious with the father. Like, mm. you, you, of course, you get all of that. Mm. But Liam Neeson, yep. as Henri Descartes and Raj Al Ghul, mm-hmm. has a has a definitive influence on him in many ways. Yep. It's just that he branches off. Mm. From taking it to zealot levels, yeah, and there's something about the uh, you know the kind of trope. Of sorry, the... did I just talk for an hour and a half? I'm so <laughs> sorry. I got on a bit of a roll then. <laughs> with, with, when he, and you, you also get the trope of like the, the 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 betrayal of the father. Yes, as well, which is yes. you know something that uh, you know a lot of um, a lot of people are very familiar with. Yeah, you, know, you were there for me, and now you're not, and now you turned out to be something that you know, is not actually serving me in any positive way. And it goes both ways, doesn't yeah. it? You know, it's yeah. like Bruce rejects the father, mm-hmm. but the father is also hurt because I took you in and yep. showed you a way. Yep. Yeah, and you're not the son that I needed you to be or yeah. that I wanted you to be. I can't live vicariously through you. Yeah. I wanted you to play football because I can't, and now you're not doing it. <laughs> I'm going to fucking kill you. <laughs> Ah, uh, so glad I don't know mine. Um, <laughs> so I, I'm curious. Uh, I have a definite answer for this, but do you prefer Joe Chill as the man who kills the Waynes, or in the, in a movie context, do you prefer Batman's origin have a relationship with the Joker like it does in Tim Burton's? <sighs> I prefer it to be a random goon. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know if that's the part of me that's kind of a bit canon-headed where it's like, ah, oh, the Joker shouldn't have that much intimate, you know, that much intimacy with Batman's origin. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a really good way of putting it. Yeah. I, I you know... It's, it takes away a bit of the fear in a way. Well, yeah. And then it's like this kind of like... I mean, it, it, it's an interesting avenue to explore just in the terms of like cause and effect and the loop that they're kind of stuck in together. You know, you created me, so I created you, on and on and on. Um, but you, the th- back, to the, back to the reason that the Scarecrow is such a great villain for this movie is that, you know, fear is such a big part of why the Waynes are killed right. in this version of the story. Right. You know, it's Bruce being a little fucking coward at the opera and freaking out yep. that makes them go out the back door and are they killed by this random goon, which then feeds into, you know, the kind of socioeconomic stuff that's part of the story, you know, um, this poor man killing a rich man. Um, I think I think that the, the there's so much more 
rich narrative stuff and thematic stuff in it being Joe Chill as opposed to the Joker. Yeah. Um, I think so too because it is it's it's about the um, it's about where the city's at. Yeah. And the randomness yeah. of everyday violence. Yeah. And if he's murdered by someone if the Waynes are murdered by someone specific, then doesn't that make it it actually then does become a revenge movie, whereas yeah. Bruce is very much I wanna improve everything. Yeah. Like my father was trying to do yeah, you know, and it's questionable. His methods are questionable, especially in the year 2020 when we look at the oh, arc absolutely. of history and the you know what a billionaire could do with their money. Maybe dressing up like a bat and bashing people up it might not be the best use of your resources. Yeah, but yeah. sure, you know you're a traumatized little boy. You know that's. Uh, I think that is why <laughs> it's very dangerous to try to from uh, from an enjoying uh, from an entertainment point of view mm. applying real life yeah. politics yeah. to uh, s- specifically like you, you can you can do it as a as an idea mm-hmm. but to specifically apply the real world yeah. and we will we'll, I'll get into that a little bit later uh, I have a I have a tasty question to finish off this with <laughs> and I I, I want to save it but the um you know I think that you you can apply these things as ideas but Superhero stuff always falls apart when you apply of course. the real world to it. If the real world... I've got a, I've got a fan fiction story where uh, all of the villains suddenly realise that they were all arrested by a vigilante and so their arrests aren't actually valid and they, oh, yeah. and they sue the city of Gotham oh, for billions yeah. of dollars. Because yeah. <laughs> they're like, you were, we were incarcerated under false pretenses. Yeah, we don't even know who he ma- is. Yeah, we don't know who this guy is. Yeah. And they end up bankrupting the city and becoming billionaires themselves because they've all, you know, they've all been incarcerated for 20 years oh, yeah. under false pretenses. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> of course, you can't apply real-world logic to it. All of these stories are happening in a parallel reality to ours. You know, yeah. that, that's, that, that's how it is. And it's, um, I think Grant Morrison was once asked, how does, where does he get all the petrol? Like, how does he put petrol in the Batmobile? He's made of paper. He's made of paper. <laughs> Such a good response. Such a good response. That's why I get angry when the comics suddenly try to make them look like the movies. Because, mm. like, no, no, I understand... You have to kind of make movies where the uniform has some kind of semblance of logic because it's so close to the real world. But paper is so far removed from us. Of course. It's lycra. Yeah, go. It's just lycra. Yeah, of course. Just put some lycra. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, and he dodges bullets. Yeah, it's fine. Oh, that was my favourite, my (laughs) favourite trope of those late 90s Batman comics was where he was Bruce in the suit. Yep. In one panel, and then in the very next panel, he'd somehow changed into Batman. And it completely yeah. defies all logic, but it's yeah. like, that's how fucking cool he is. Yeah. He can change costumes in a split second without you even noticing. Mate, there are people out there that have never read an Iron Man comic, but no Iron Man. Mm-hmm. And they have no idea how funny it was in hindsight that he often used to just carry the Iron Man suit around in a suitcase. <laughs> but it didn't, but this is before. Nanotechnology <laughs> and stuff like that. So, you know, like, there's covers. Like, like, if anyone has never seen them, just Google it. There are covers of Tony Stark, like, falling out of a helicopter with the suitcase coming undone and him trying to get into the fucking armour, <laughs> you know. But guess what? It's paper. It's fucking paper. It's fucking paper. <laughs> oh, I wish we'd called this whole podcast It's Fucking Paper. Um, one of the aspects I love about 
this movie is the colours. Mm. So it's, uh, it's it's very golden brown, mm. has a lot of sepia tones, and there there are definitely splashes of other colours. There's like the the blue of the of Iceland, which kind of recalls what he learnt from Insomnia. Yeah, absolutely, you know that yep. was. I remember when I first saw it at the cinema. That was the first thing mm. uh, correlation I made from the previous film. Yep. Yep. Um, I, I often think of uh, Batman Begins as golden brown. I think of The Dark Knight as blue, yep. and I think of The Dark Knight Rises as white. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I was wondering, do you think this color tone was deliberately used because it gives us a through line? to movies like The Godfather and The Untouchables. It kind of gives the movie a, the movie a, a mafia feel, which has mm. a rich cinematic history rather than what we've had in the past, which was the gothic pop art feel. Yeah, they, I mean, absolutely. Um, there could also be something to the, the fact that it's Batman Begins. Right. You know, and that sepia tone is, you know, reminiscent of, you know, the past. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So that could that could be it as well. It's such a it's such a beautiful color. Yeah. Uh, as well, it's uh, you know these are not things that you normally think about when you're watching something. But I I remember even remember the first lot of advertising that came mm, out, and yeah. it was like like I was I was like oh that guy that did Insomnia and Memento oh that this will be interesting God yeah and you know my first reaction was oh, I hope this is good because <laughs> I like that guy yeah and then. This looks all right. Yeah. And then I actually remember very specifically being halfway through the movie yeah. with Adam Richard. Mm. And then when he first appears as Batman, and I, I can't remember which one of us said it, but one of us leant over to the other and said, oh, I hope this doesn't fuck the movie. Because we were so into mm-hmm. everything about mm-hmm. it. Anyway. I remember fizzing the first time I saw it. I was yeah. so excited. Because I've always, as much as I poo-poo the people who are like, you know, how does he put petrol in his car? I have always been drawn to the, you know, the aesthetic of Batman of like, no, this is a real guy. And and so I loved that the movie was, you know, spending time on how does he make the cow? You know, what what, what are and the mechanics? Why? Yeah, and why? And, yeah. and the mechanics of the whole thing and, and making the cave and the training and everything. And then when you finally see Batman that first time, it is through the perspective of the goons that are getting picked off. Flash here, flash there. You know, and it was that real sense of like, man, they're fucking nailing it. And it's not that stupid, like, oh, there he is under halogen lights and it's just a dude in a rubber suit and it looks ridiculous. Yeah. It's, it's, oh man. Up until that point, you know, other than the animated series, I felt like it was just nailed for the first time. You know, that depiction of that character. And I think... um I think people forget that the three movies, and I've already said this mm. about Bane, but they're funny. Like, yeah. there's, there's heaps of jokes. Of course. And it, it, it's, you know, uh, it is, you know, he was very much influenced by the Richard Donner Superman. Yeah. And, you you know, that yeah, took its time. And yeah. this, like, you know, the cow, you know, when they, like, he smashes it with the baseball bat. Yeah. And he's, you know, there's jokes about... Um, how many did we get? 10,000. Yeah. Uh, in the meantime, just try not to land on your head. And when he says that, if you watch Christian Bale in the background, he laughs. Yeah. And one of the funny things about the trilogy is that it's quite clearly a trilogy, but I also think it's three movies of two halves. And up right. until the moment that Rachel Dawes dies, mate, 
Well, I know there's some serious shit going on, but Gordon and Alfred and Lucius and Bruce yeah, are funny. fucking having a great time. Yeah, they're funny. Like, they're into it. Yeah, like, yeah, they yeah. are doing something good. They are having a good time. Yeah. They know that they're achieving some shit. And they also know they're participating in something that is abjectly absurd. Right. Like, it's, it, you know, they're, yeah. they're, they're fully conscious that, hey, this, this is all working. Yeah. And we're getting results. But we're also dealing with a fucking nutcase dressed up as a bat. Yeah, like, what's he doing? Like, yeah, what, what the fuck's going on? But, you know, while even, we're here... Even that conversation at the end of Batman Begins, you know, where Gordon's, you know, doing the whole, you know, uh, you yeah. know, you, you get they you get bulletproof armour, they'll get armour-piercing bullets. Like, it's very tongue-in-cheek yeah. of, like, yeah. we're, we've now kind of crossed a threshold and we're Absolutely. in a strange world. Yeah. It's very good. Yeah. And that's something that, you know... I mean, I, I do think that the Dark Knight trilogy has a darkness to it, but um, I recently watched for a laugh um, uh, Batman versus Superman, and it is just so unrelentingly humorless, yes, and grim, yes, like to the point of parody where you can't help but just howl with laughter at like, oh, oh my yeah. god, this is like a fourteen-year-old goth's version of edgy and dark. Yeah, like it's just so humorless. There's not one laugh in the whole movie. Yeah, um, and it really made me appreciate the humor that is in the Dark Knight trilogy, despite everyone thinking that it is this very dark. Yeah, thing. it's it's just you know. So I have a theory that uh, to borrow a term from Adam Richard. One of the things that people miss in this is in in the original comic. Um, I can't remember if I've done research on. Oh yeah, I have done some research on this, but the um, Crime Alley wasn't yeah. established in Batman continuity until the thirty fifth anniversary. Yeah, right. Which is interesting. That was Detective Comics four fifty seven by Denny O'Neill uh-huh. and Dick Giordano. Mm-hmm. Um, Initially, in the in the, in the first iteration of the origin, the Waynes are just out, and then it was added that they'd seen movie, and then it was mentioned uh, in another origin uh, version of the origin. It was mentioned that uh, Marlon Brando was in the film they'd just seen, so that ah. would in, in, imply in the time that it came out, probably on the waterfront. You know that yeah, would, which, right. which sounds about yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. But it was Frank Miller who made it. Mark of Zorro in yeah. the Dark Knight Returns. So it's and it's been the Mark of Zorro in the comic continuity yeah. for a long time. Yeah. But when you get to Batman Begins, and I think this is I think this is a missed uh, like I think this is important what's added because it it's it helps explain what you're about to experience. Mm-hmm. It's an opera and it's uh uh-huh. Mephistopheles and, you know, the scene we witness is a night where you see the demons and otherworldly creatures in rapture. Mm-hmm. And there's a, there's, a, there's a lot going on in, uh, in that uh, opera. But that says to me, what we're watching is operatic. Yeah. And I think people forget, you know, that's a really key scene into explaining what we're about to experience. Yeah. And the whole thing's an opera. Yeah, it's expressionistic. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think people get bogged down because you know they spend a lot of time you know making the cowl and yeah. explaining things in uh, thinking you know that this is a real world realistic depiction. Right. It is expressionistic with elements of 
you know, hey, this is how it might work in real life. Yeah. But essentially, like, you start picking it apart. It's 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 absurd. The whole oh, thing is so silly. Like, <laughs> you know, like, it's... It's it, a metaphor. Right, it's just... But it's also all... You know, like, how lucky is it that the first time he goes back to his old office... Like, he's been away and he's coming back with a plan mm. and then he's just like, oh, I'm not quite sure how I'm going to do this. And mm. then it's just like, oh, you've got some memory cloth. Oh, that's good. Oh, you've got <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, of course. Like, it's, it's still a two-hour movie. It's like, he's made a fucking celluloid, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Again, I think that's the downside of one one of the big flaws of Batman versus Superman is um you know, it's trying to literalize everything, you know. Right. And it's trying to bring them into the real world. You know, the most hilarious moment in that movie is when Superman turns to Lois and says <laughs> No one stays good in this world and flies it like, what, what's going on? Mate. This is a, a, ch- a character invented for children. Yeah. And he's this grim fucking, uh, everyone he saves, he's just so depressed to be doing oh, it. And it's like, yeah, that might be how it is in the real world. Yeah. But I don't want to fucking see that. It's, it's horrible. It's Superman. It's he's fucking a, Superman, bro. This is why he gets a bad rap. Why because is he people... hovering over people before oh, he saves yeah, them? I know. I... Grimly looking down at them. It's fucking terrifying. Mate. You, your obsession with that scene. I can't actually, get over it. I know, no, 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 I know I'm not <laughs> complaining, but it actually makes me enjoy that scene because anytime I see it, I always think, fuck, if Ben was here, he'd be having a nervous breakdown. And when I say if Ben was here, I've only ever watched the movie twice, once because I had to. And the second time I was like, did I... Like maybe Did I see what I saw? I feel like I have to watch this again. <laughs> Dude, I was saying to my friend the other day, that is a ma- it is a masterpiece of folly, that film. Yeah. Because every moment of it has fa- it's like a it's like fractals yeah. of wrongness. Everything yeah. is wrong about it. It's yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. You know, that scene where Superman turns up to Congress to testify. Oh, yeah. Why is he hovering above them all? Yeah. They're all protesting him and he's just there ominously looking at them from the sky. No, 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 no. Superman and, goes out of his way to yeah, Hey guys, how are you all going? At least wave at the fucking crowd. Thump, like lands on the ground. Yeah. And then he goes into Congress. Congress blows up. And then it's yeah. like, well, for what? Nothing happened. Yeah. It wasn't a frame job. It was not that... Uh, oh, yeah. We should do anyway. a fucking bonus episode on that. It's fucking outstanding. All right. Yeah, well, you know what we should do. We'll, we'll, we'll save it for when they release the Snyder Cut, and we can. Oh, I can't wait. We can hate watch it together. I I'll can't get. Wait. I'll, I'll make a little. I'll, I'll get two kiddies pools, and we can sit in the, <laughs> in the ice, just trying to calm ourselves down. Um, Tom Wilkinson, mm-hmm. so good, great, and I feel like he's an unsung actor in this movie. Like mm-hmm. no one ever mentions Tom Wilkinson. Where does uh, Carmine Falcone rank in the movies for you? I feel like he's. He's I great. Feel, I feel like he's really important as well yeah. you yeah. know like, well he's the impetus yeah he's the thing that finally tips bruce over the edge he's the last person bruce speaks to before he decides to go on yeah. his international journey to train I, so so i have to say you know when people bag on katie holmes mm. and look i don't think she's the best actor in this Fine. but i think the scene where when Bruce reveals that he has the gun mm. and that he was going to kill Joe Chill mm. and she slaps him a couple of times mm-hmm. and says, you know, your father would be ashamed of yeah. you. From that moment mm. to the the brilliant moment where it's, it's one of the rare times that you break out of the brown sepia and you get that blue tone of Bruce looking at the gun. The music in this movie is phenomenal, yeah, man. And, it, and it adds a grandeur to you the mm. the whole proceeding. And he hurls the gun, and then he goes into the club, mm-hmm. and then when he turns up, like Tom Wilkinson once again, 
funny. Like, yeah, is it, very you funny. Didn't, you didn't bring a gun? Yeah. I, I'm, insult, I'm insulted. You know, and then <laughs> the way you look over there, there's a judge, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't be afraid to go bang, you bang! know. Like he's, and then when he, yeah. when he punches him out, he's, yeah, you got Muxy kid. And then the, that, that great moment where he says, yeah. your father died screaming like a dog. <laughs> <laughs> like a dog. I heard that. Like a yeah. dog. It's gr- it's yeah. such a great moment and it's pitched perfectly and I, I just think he's wonderful. I think he's this. wonderful and I think he's incredibly important in the narrative because yeah. he is he's as much responsible for the creation of Batman as yeah. Joe Chill is. And I don't mean because I, I, I don't recall this, so correct me if I'm wrong, but it's it's him that's kind of funded Joe Chill or at one point or no, I he's think, got some connection no, to I, Joe he, Chill. He ended up in jail. In jail with him. Yeah. Okay. So so, jo- so Joe Chill now has some Some information. information. That's right, that's right. Yeah. So Joe Chill obviously is, you know, the original, you know, the killer of the Wayne. So that's yeah. what but I wonder if he had not had that conversation with Falcone where he was A humiliated. Yeah. B told that he's not scary at all. He's yeah. this, you know, foppish rich kid, and who oh, the fuck yeah. do you think you are? And he's even got an awful haircut. Terrible. Yeah, that awful um, flock of seagulls yeah. uh, haircut. Um, yeah, I wonder. I wonder. <laughs> you funny it... asshole, flock of seagulls. <laughs> <laughs> like, I do wonder if that conversation hadn't happened. Yeah. You know, would would he? Because that's the moment he, you yeah. know, he takes his jacket off, gives it yeah. to a homeless guy, yeah, and he's out of there, yeah. You know, and it's it seems like that is the conversation that tips him over the edge. Yeah, finally, it kind of makes him realize that what Falcone says to him is correct. It's true. You think you know pain? Yeah. You think you know, but yep. you know you're the Prince of Gotham. Yeah, absolutely. You, you know? know, yeah, and it's um, it makes him realize what he doesn't know and what he needs to go and learn. And it's very, it's a, I think that's one of the key moments of the movie. That's because it's so funny. Yeah, you maybe don't recognize it on a well, first you, couple of views that but it you is. Probably also, you know, in the grand scheme of things, you forget about him because he's only in like half an hour, forty five minutes of of the story. Yep. in in many ways. Yep, yep, yep. Um, his screaming, by the way, when he gets gassed, is fucking hysterical. Oh yeah, so <laughs> good. <laughs> so good. But I also like. Um, but there's a, there's some nice underplayed moments as well. Like he's not chewing the scenery, scenery all the time. Like there's the great conversation with Crane, where he says, mm. you know, don't worry about the you know the motivations or the thoughts of scary men. You yeah, know, and yeah, it's yeah, like yeah, yeah. Jesus Christ. Like, yeah. and even um, yeah, I I think I, I'm a I'm a fan of Tom Wilkinson. And I great. think he I, I think he pitches himself perfectly and once again it, it feels very operatic where yeah. he pitches his performance yep. so you know sometimes uh, it's going to be one of my bugbears and i'm so I, I you know what i actually decided i wasn't going to bang on about this and i've already oh, banged on here about we it go. But one of my <laughs> one of my uh annoyances with people criticizing the dark knight rises is uh, that they do uh, you know typical movie too many villains you mm-hmm. know you had you know, you get too excited and you stuff it full Catwoman and Bane and yeah. blah, blah, blah. Do you know how many villains there are in Batman Begins? I mean, you could you could say definitely three. Yeah. Uh, so... If you want to... Well, so Falcone, the yeah. Scarecrow and Ra's al Ghul. Right. Or Ducard. Yeah. Uh, but if you want to stretch it out, you could say um, the fucking cop, Flass. 
Absolutely. Pretty villainous. Mate, and also one of the best lines in the movie when the guy says, hey, I've got children to <laughs> feed. And he says, what, don't they like, like falafel? falafel? <laughs> yeah, great. Stinky <laughs> motherfucker. You know, straight yeah. from Memento as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, He's yeah, so yeah. good. Yeah. You could say Flass. I mean, you could say Joe Chill. Yeah. Uh, you could say the guy that's posing as Ra's al Ghul in the temple at the beginning. Oh, yeah. Ken Wanatabe. Uh, or whatever... Whoever that Whoever is. Whoever that guy is. Yeah. Um, am I missing anyone? Oh, yeah. I, and I reckon you can uh, very, like, this is stretching a little bit, but Judge Fagan, who, Judge you Fagan. Know, but also Earl, Rutger Hauer. Oh, of course. He's a fucking villain. Yep. Because yep, he's, yep. you know, yep. like, it's a subtle villainy, mm. but he's motivated to, he just wants to make money. He wants to, mm-hmm. you know, go into making weapons and go against everything that... Yep, yep, yep. But do you know what I mean? Like, there's a lot going on. Well, there's stratas of corruption and villainy all through. Yeah. Yeah. So, Cal Wilson and I, when we were uh, recording for this first uh, first episode of this season, uh, has just watched all the Marvel films. Like, her and Cal, and, like, what a... What a great thing to do, bonding with your son. Do you know? Totally, what I mean? like, totally. Good on Cal. Maybe the best way to watch those movies. With yeah, the kid. absolutely. Good yeah. reminder, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, then yeah. She, <laughs> and then she was like, "Oh, what can I see next?" And she said, oh, could he watch Batman Begins?" And I suggested that would be a bad idea because there there are many horror moments in this film. And how old's when, the boy? Uh, I think he is nine. <sighs> I reckon ten. he's ready for it. Do you reckon? Yeah. I don't know. Well, well, when you think of this. I think people forget when you think of this movie. Mm. Do you think of it as a horror movie at all? Because there are actually some scary moments, like when mm. he, like horror tropes, like when he first attacks Falcone's men. That's it's scary. That's scary, but also the hallucinations of yeah. the maggots in Scarecrow's face. Yeah, what Scarecrow sees with with Batman. Yeah, the floating over people and these bright eyes like definitely definitely i i I have two thoughts on this first of all i saw tim burton's batman at the cinema in 1989 so i would have been eight years old and i still remember being very scarred up by that movie yeah right and so it's hard for me to say whether tim burton's Batman would be scarier for a nine-year-old than Christopher Nolan's Batman Begins. I feel like the Batman 1989 has, true for a child, has right. true moments of horror. That moment where Jerry Hall takes her mask oh, yeah. off. Yep. Um, Jack Nicholson is truly fucking terrifying in that movie. I'm not saying the movie's not very camp and over the top, but, yeah. you know, kids process things very differently to us. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I still remember vividly the killing of the Waynes really fucking me up as a kid watching right. that in the I remember it very clearly watching right. freaking out about that moment. Um, my second thought on that is <laughs> kids should vacation in terror. Now and then. Right. In, 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 in obviously in a very safe way through yeah. cinema. I see nothing wrong with kids being freaked out now and then by a movie. Oh, um, yeah, for sure. You know, but do you, do, you, do you think that this, like, is it one of those things when someone mentions Batman Begins to you that you actively think, oh, it's got some horror moments? For me personally, no. No, I don't. Like, uh, no. th- that's why I asked because no. while I was re watching it with with Cal's son in mind, mm. 
I was like, oh yeah, there's some like some pretty scary stuff. Going there's on. some scary stuff in it, but I don't think it's anything so. Um, I think that those it's that same way that Nolan uses horror moments in Memento or even Insomnia, where they're yeah. more just like. <laughs> Yeah. Like little flashes yeah. of horror. Yeah. Um, like the maggots coming out of Scarecrow's face. Well, even um, when everyone's... You know when he's in the Narrows and, and, and everyone kind of mobs him and it's almost yeah. like a zombie film yeah. at that point. Like it, to the extent that, you know, when he hits the monorail and shoots off, like someone flies off like a zombie as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, if you're contrasting it with the 1989 Batman, I think the, the, the horrors... The, if you want to call it horror, the horror in that film is more drawn out. Right. There's, it's, it, you, you sit with these moments for longer. Yeah. Um, and it's more... I feel like it's more overtly grotesque yeah i mean and and if you want to go forward to batman returns i mean life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much like unexpected medical costs that's why united healthcare provides health protector guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs learn more at uh1.com hey there it's michelle norris i'm host of a podcast called your mama's kitchen When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. God, the penguin is a true horror oh, character. Yeah, that black yeah. fluid that's always leaking yeah. out of his face when he bites that guy's nose off. Like, yeah. it's fucking terrifying. I would probably think that those movies would be scarier for a little kid more than Batman Begins. I feel like that scene where Batman is taking down the goons, even though it's scary. Right. I would think as a kid, you'd be like, yeah, but it's Batman. Yeah, and he's taking those guys down. And yeah. It's scary, but he's supposed to be scaring them, and he's the good guy. And I oh, know yeah. that I'm on his side. I have to say, one of my favorite moments in the film is, and I'm going to tell you my three favorite moments in mm-hmm. all the films. And I'm not going to tell you. I'm going to see if you pick up on the thing they have in common. Uh-huh. But uh, but this is but this is uh, that moment where. He approaches uh, Raj Al Ghul and, and Liam Neeson, once again, really funny. Mm. You uh, took my suggestion of theatricality, <laughs> literally. <laughs> Can't you. You know, and he, and he says, I, I can't beat two of your pawns. And he's like, as you wish. And mm. then the other two drop down. And then there's, there's just that brief moment. And it's such a it's such a throwaway moment. But that just moment where he just stays still. Then he looks to his left and then he just leaps. And you go, man. That's fucking cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, so yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. Like I'm a 47 year old man, and I'm sitting here going, "I'm getting, you know what? This is great. I'm really having a good time." You know, uh, so part of the idea is that, and I always liked this when it was used in the comics. Uh, you know, because for a long time, you know, Batman just hung out with the Super Friends, and mm-hmm. he was running around in a light blue costume because they mm. couldn't do black properly and yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. you know he was fun and he's yeah. hanging out with robin and he was cool and then when they kind of made things dark there was that there was that period and i don't know how long it actually lasted in the comics but remember there was that period where he was an urban myth mm-hmm. and people weren't entirely yeah, certain if he yeah. existed or if he was something made up for the yeah. police and so keeping that in mind 
that moment when he's gliding over the top yeah. of everyone and he's everyone's freaking out because they're on the gear. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're seeing this bat thing fly yeah. over them, flash. Don't you think that is where the myth of the Batman really begins for the Nolan trilogy? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because before then he's not really... He's seen here and there, like the little boy clocks him mm. uh, earlier in the movie. Yeah. But yeah, I think, uh, you know, a mass sighting like that would be the thing that kicks it all off, right? Yeah. Crazy yeah, that that little boy's uh, uh, Joffrey. Yeah, yeah Prince from... Joffrey. Once you know that, it's really hard to unsee it. It's like, oh, Batman, <laughs> look at everything you could have sold if you took that kid out. <laughs> um, but yeah, such a such a great moment. My, uh, I, I think, you know, I was really loving the film when I was watching it the first time and uh, that moment where she says, tell me your name and he, and he gives her the quote back mm. and she's like, Bruce? And then he leaps off. And it goes into that float, you know, floating yeah. down, and the music. I, I think it's, I think it's the music drop that yeah, really gets me. Is so. I, I I don't know enough musical terms to explain why, but it's it feels like that music is deep, and it kind of hits you right in the chest, and it's really dramatic. Yeah. And then that whole scene finishes with the Liam Neeson quip, and then into the fight. It's all great. <laughs> I, I routinely I routinely listen to the uh, three Dark Knight yeah. soundtracks. Yeah. Uh, like, I, I like a bit of Hans Zimmer. Yeah. Especially in benign situations. There's nothing better than listening to Hans Zimmer music while you're at Sushi Train or something. man, you want to listen to the Joker? It's like, oh, my God. Um, it's James Newton Howard as well as the who's the composer on this. Uh, oh, really? I, yeah, there's... I'll have to look this up, actually. Cause Wait, comp- Hans Zimmer didn't do Batman Begins? No, he did, but he did it with James Newton Howard. Right. And for some reason, because of that, like, I know, I think I think none of those movies were nominated for Best Soundtrack. Shameful. And I don't quite know why. I feel like there's a technicality going on behind the scenes. But to me, part of the reason this movie really succeeds is because of the music. Absolutely. Well, I, yeah. I, I would say that all three. I mean, all three, I, I, actually, yeah. I would say that of pretty much all of um, Nolan's movies. Yeah. Carte Blanche. Oh, the yeah. The soundtrack is a huge part of it. Yeah. But yeah, the... Um, and also, you know, the impossibility of coming up with a theme for Batman after the very iconic... That, you know, to kind of go in this... You know, almost kind of ambient noise version of a theme, right. which is um. Well, once again, it feels a bit operatic in yeah. some places, doesn't it? Yeah. 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 Uh, this movie is fairly straightforward in the storytelling, but there are different, definite little time jumps that he plays around with mm-hmm. when you go back over. And uh, do you remember those? There's there's a really tricky aspect where, and it's in his training, mm. so. It's all over the place, yep. and it's really interesting the way he's jumbled it up. And it's the fighting on the ice, training on the beams, seeing the man who they will want Bruce to kill, mm. Bruce remembering his parents being murdered, mm. and that's all told in a non-linear fashion. Yep. But it, it it feels kind of straightforward if you're not oh, play, paying close attention, isn't it? Yeah. And then when you suddenly realise, oh, hang on, that bit's after he fell in the ice because he's wearing, uh, you know, uh, the the blanket to yeah. warm himself up and. Yeah. You know, and it's just an interesting time to just mix that all up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's kind of um, it, 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 it 
conflates the whole story and it says, you know, that each moment uh, is as resonant as each other moment. You right. know, the moment of him failing to kill Joe Chill yeah. in the courtroom is actually as important as his parents dying in the alley, which yeah. is as important as the encounter with Falcone and all yeah. of it. And so I think jumbling it all up, it's like it's all kind of a forever now. You know, it's all part of the story. Yeah. It's, um, it's not a linear thing. Yeah. All, everything was resonant. Yeah, I guess, yeah, you, you, you make a really good point. It's, it means that because, because you're seeing all these points that are important mm. as a mosaic, yeah. you're not lending any credence to yeah. one aspect being more important than the other. And that's, yeah. how, and that's how, that's how the memory and, and, and the story we tell ourselves about right. our lives works. We don't tell it in a linear way. It's yeah. grab bags of, you uh-huh. know, oh, and then this happened. Oh, and then before that, this thing happened, which yeah. actually led to that thing that I was talking about earlier. And, yeah. you know, it's, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a much more interesting way to tell the story than if it was just... You know, can you imagine if the story had been told, you know, uh, the first scene is the first scene of the movie of him falling down the thing, and then the next right. scene is them going to the opera, and then yeah. the next scene is him at court. It would have been, a, you know... Yeah. I mean, maybe it would have been fine, but I feel like it would have been... Like, we've talked about how Memento, you know, uh, watching it in the correct order is actually a little fucking bit. boring. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think it would have been very much the same in Batman Begins. Whereas, you know, having... Like, it's, it's quite... Uh, when you don't know what to expect mm. having him wake up with a beard in a jail yeah it's great you know <laughs> it's great <laughs> you know uh, and that little I love that little montage of him being a thief and oh yeah it's fantastic yeah. you know only stealing his own products and also funny early on you know this yeah. guy's gonna he's gonna want to fight you again until you do can't he do it before before breakfast yeah yeah <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Really don't you know. are in hell yeah. and I am the devil yeah 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 it's great your practice. Um, <laughs> all of it's great. You know, we're, 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 you, we're dragging you away to... Pre- to pre- for what? <laughs> for protection. I don't need protection. Yeah. No, for them. <laughs> <laughs> They're all on the ground. How many times has he beaten up everybody? Um, so it's interesting what you just said about memories because my next question to ask you was, do you, do you think one of the main attractions for Nolan to make this movie is because it ties into one of his main interests mm-hmm. in... Not only memories, but how they shape a person. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's... Um, I often think about that of like, you know, the memories... Because memories, a lot of the time, are stories we tell ourselves about our past. Yeah. I think we talked about this on an earlier podcast. You know, the way you tell a story informs the memory, which then informs your behaviour... Yeah. You know, and that's something I'm becoming very conscious of. You and know. also how you remember the memory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, whether or not you're the victim of the story or the right. hero of the story. And right. I'm becoming very conscious of that in my own life, you know, when I retell a story of, you know, trying to separate what is exaggeration for the purpose of the telling, but not to get too caught up in that lest I forget right. that that is an exaggeration. Because... You know, if I continue to cast myself as the victim in each story that I tell, well, then it's going to inform how I approach situations going forward. Yes. Um, and so, you know, and it's also interesting to think about the memories that we don't remember that are that are directing our actions. Right. You know, right. but it's um, yeah, I think I think um, it's funny, isn't it? The what, what you just said about the way you inform yourself, like mm. I, you know. Before we recorded the podcast, uh, you know, I'd been telling you about how today had been quite a stressful day mm-hmm. for me and I really 
probably felt like talking to someone earlier in the day, but I felt like I needed to process it. Yep. And because I didn't want a narrative uh, attaching itself yep. before I had time to work out how I felt about it. Exactly. Yeah, and I yeah, think, yeah. you know, sometimes I wonder if that's, you know, one of the biggest flaws with social media is that you can have a thought yep. and let the world know about it before you even really know what the thought totally. is. Totally. Or you have a disagreement with someone and then you immediately call someone. And of course, because you're all worked up and emotional, suddenly yeah. you're depicting them as maybe more aggressive than they actually were. And, oh, yeah. You know, and then half an hour later, it's like, well, that's become canon now. It's yes. not just an exaggeration for the purpose of the story. That's oh, yeah. what happened. Well, and now many... I'm fucking pissed off because they talked to me like that. And it's like, yeah. well, did they? I don't know. Probably not. But also, how many times do you have a conversation with someone and let so we're not blaming other people let's say we've called someone mm. and been shitty about something and then you've worked through it yeah. and then you're talking about hanging out with them and then your friend's a bit like why are you hanging out with them oh, dude, and it's like happened to me so much oh yeah you know why because <laughs> i fired off some fucking missiles before i thought about it totally and i took down that person yeah, and, yeah, then, yeah. and then i realized that it, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just needed to calm down. Yeah, yeah, I threw them under the bus, and you yeah. know, particularly when you throw them as someone under the bus to a person who doesn't already maybe have a great opinion of the person yeah. that you're talking about. Yeah, and all of a sudden you're like, oh no, we're mates. Oh, and you know, you suddenly seem like you're disingenuous yeah. or that you have no conviction. That's happened to me before. You know, sometimes you know, maybe, maybe some couples need to not tell us every time they have a fight. Totally. You know. Totally. Because, yeah. oh, yeah, why are you guys still together? Oh, no, because it's really good. Well, I never hear that it's really yeah, good. Yeah, all I've ever heard is that it's a fucking yeah. waking nightmare. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, absolutely. How about you ring me and say, hey, guess what we did? We went out and we had a really nice lunch. Oh, yeah, good story. <laughs> <laughs> and then we made passionate love with oh, each other because yeah. we right. love each other. Well, maybe, well, I don't know if I need to know about that. <laughs> uh, depends on the friends. Anyway, um, so I'm going to throw this one out to you. Is yep. Christian Bale underrated in these movies because in this film alone he has to play young naive Bruce mm. on a quest Bruce mm. the real Bruce that say Alfred knows mm-hmm. uh, playboy Bruce mm. which is my favourite Bruce yeah, yeah, yeah. and Batman yeah I think uh, I think it's easy to kind of um, you know sideline his performance and kind of just silo it into that whole I'm Batman yeah that you know the funny voice yeah um, yeah I, I guess so I mean I think I think look all iconic performances and I do think this is an iconic performance yeah uh, I think the the Dark Knight trilogy has been so discussed and so explored that it's so much in the yeah. you know kind of cultural lexicon now that it's easy to just reduce something down to its component parts. Oh yeah, you know like Marlon Brando and The Godfather. Yeah, and The Godfather. And it's like it's just that's it, you know. Yeah, but um, <laughs> worst Godfather. Yeah, sorry. You know what I, I mean? Know, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 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 and I think that's what's happened with the uh, with Bale's uh, performance in the Batman movies. It's all it's all just the voice now. Yeah, uh, it's been parodied enough in Funny or Die videos and all the yeah. rest um, that people forget. No, it is a it's a deeply nuanced performance, especially as the trilogy goes on. Well, this the reason this is my favorite Batman story is this is possibly realistically mm. 
in all the different iterations of Batman, the only time that I really like Bruce Wayne. Yeah. And I really like him because I he he feels real in so many yeah. ways, regardless of the fact that he dresses up as a bat and fights crime. And no, totally. a mega like, you know, I I have a bias towards rich people at the best of times, but I'm I'm on Bruce's side in this. <laughs> and uh you know, he's really funny. Like, you know, there's when when he gets up because he's overslept mm. and then Alfred sees the, the the bruises and he's like, we're going to have to come up with an excuse for why you have these bruises. Maybe you've been playing polo. And he's so offended. I'm not playing polo, <laughs> Alfred. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he goes out with the two girls and he's obviously playing a character. Mm. You know, even like, it's a really funny delivery when he's like, oh, anyone who dresses up as a bat must be crazy as his two girlfriends are falling in the pool yeah, and then yeah, he yeah. buys the pool. But then... One of my favourite moments in this movie is the look of pain in his eyes when he bumps into Rachel and yep. she says, you know, it says the infamous line, it's not who you are underneath, but what you do mm-hmm. that defines you. And mm-hmm. it's like, he's having to keep it to himself and it's the person that he cares about. Like, he's, yep. like it's, it's really beautiful acting. Yeah, there's definitely a lot there. I think a lot of the other depictions of Bruce Wayne in other mediums has been kind of one note. That is something that I've noticed in my rewatching of the animated series. You know, Bruce Wayne is... Kind of a cardboard cutout. Right. And also, his motivations as Batman. Like, there's a lot of episodes where I'm like, dude, you just spent, like, a week hunting a, a jewel thief. Was that really the best use of your time protecting <laughs> yeah. a billionaire's assets? Like, yeah, yeah. Like, that, he really is the parody. The, the, the animated series Batman really is the parody of the billionaire protecting the upper class yeah. uh, from the poor people. But I think in, in, in the Nolan trilogy, there is a nuance to the character and, uh, like, a genuine pain. And, and yeah. as I said, going on uh, into the later movies, like, there's a real... Um, vulnerability to the character that you don't often see. Yeah, and, you know, there are these grades that Bale is playing. And I've read in places where he, you know, watching what Ledger was doing, he felt really disappointed because that's what he was trying to do with Bruce. But I I feel like he's underselling himself. Yeah, absolutely. I think he does such a great job. Oh, when he's doing those push-ups, it's fucking hilarious as well. Oh, yeah, it's great. so we, we've already mentioned that this is a movie about father figures. Mm. And I reckon between Thomas Wayne, Alfred Gordon and Rajal Ghul, which one do you reckon has the biggest influence on young Bruce? On young Bruce? Well, on, on, on creating the... On, on Bruce in his development to where he ends at the end of the movie. Uh, whoa. Okay, wait. Rajal Ghul, Lucius. It has to be Thomas Wayne. Yeah. Because if, you know, and, and that's not necessarily anything that Thomas did other than die. But Well, you know, you, you know, uh, like even the first image you see of Thomas Wayne is him coming down and he kind of looks like Batman. Yeah. Like his jacket looks like a cape. And he grapples and down. Yeah. And, and there's clearly like, and that's something that you don't often see either in the depictions of uh, Thomas Wayne is that he clearly has a profound love for his son. Yes. Despite being insanely rich and yeah. living in a fucking castle and all the rest, the fact that he cradles him like a baby yeah. when he pulls him out of that hole, beyond the point of needing to, really. They're walking up the steps and he's still holding him, you know, yeah. cradling his son. So there, there, there's clearly a foundation of deep love oh, yeah. that is, you know, that you he, don't often see in those other depictions. Yeah. Often you see the grief that Bruce displays for the death of his parents and it's like, yeah, but 
why. They're well, just cold and distant. Well, even just before he dies, you know, the way mm. he's putting the coat on his wife yep. and he gives his son a wink where he says, a lot of opera goes a long way. Like, yeah. just like going, and you know what? Yep. If you watch that scene properly, he's winking at his son going, we don't need to talk to your mum totally. about it. And then when he goes to bed, he'll say, oh, he's obviously freaked out. And so I decided to leave. And yeah, so he's not yeah. breaking any... Like he's doing the right thing by his son and he'll tell yeah. his wife a little bit later. When his final words to his son, oh. you know, don't be scared. Yeah. Don't be afraid. Yeah. Um, did you see the Dakar Rajal Ghul flip coming the first time you saw it? I don't think so, but I, you know... I don't think I did either. I don't think I did. No, I don't think I did. I, and you know what probably tricked me the most is, is, is because Ken Wanatabe has the Ra's beard. Yes. I'm like, oh, that's Ra's It's the beard. Yeah. <laughs> also, he's really good too. Yeah. Um, it's his, his delivery of lines, once again, pitch perfect. Oh, like he's, he's the... Uh, He's the terrorist. He's the perfect terrorist version of Tom Wilkinson's Carmine Falcone. <laughs> you know. Uh, so does Scarecrow get slightly short shrift over the course of the movies because he's he's got such a prominent role, and mm. I love seeing him pop up in the other films. Mm. And I really love Killian Murphy. Mm. And we, you know, maybe the movies do become overstuffed if there's too much of him. Yeah. But it, because he only appears. Briefly in the second one, and even you know, hilariously, you know, for yeah, a short amount of time, the third. The third yeah. Do we kind of retrospectively forget how prominent and fun he is in the first film? Yeah, probably. But I, I actually don't think that Scarecrow uh, exists in that trilogy as much more than a affirmation of the theme of the movie, which is yep. fear. Yeah. Or one of the themes of the movie. Yeah. I think that, you know, that's why he's the perfect villain for Batman Begins. And I don't think that there needs to be any much more of him. I think yeah. the fear gas and the scarecrow and all of that. He's done the is, job. Yeah, I think it's just there to re-emphasize, you know. And, the, 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 uh, you know, I know father, you're saying father father figures are a big theme of Batman Begins. Yeah. Absolutely. But, you know, the other, the other huge one is fear. It's yeah. overcoming fear. It's yeah. becoming the thing that you fear. You know, to empower yourself. You know, Bruce uh, uh, Thomas's last words to his son: "Don't be afraid." Yeah. You know all of this stuff. So I think Scarecrow is there to augment and re-emphasize the theme. I'd love um, to know what those drugs are that he's selling at the start of the Dark Knight. I reckon he, it's the fear gas. Yeah, I know, but they're all like, going, "Fuck, I'm freaking out over it." It's like, ah, I didn't tell you that my stuff wasn't good. Um, <laughs> it's one of my favorite moments in um, Grant Morrison's Batman run when. Um, Joker and Scarecrow are hanging out, and Joker's like, "Come on, give me a give me a huff of the fear gas." Oh, and yeah. he's smoking it out of a pipe, getting yeah, high yeah. on the fear <laughs> gas. Like, yeah, <laughs> you know, uh, Murphy was up for the role of Batman. Uh, yeah, what, no, what, do, what do you reckon happens to the trilogy with him in it? Because he's a, he's a really good actor. Yeah, but, but very different. But very different, isn't yeah. he? Like, there's a. Um, I wonder. Uh, I don't know quite how to say this without it sounding like an insult, and I don't mean it as an insult, but he's just got slightly softer features. Yeah. And, uh, I, I wonder what that does to the performance. I think he would have been a less traditionally masculine Batman, but yeah. maybe a more terrifying Batman. Oh, I yeah. think he would have gone into, like, 
Kubrickian kind of like, ugh, oh yeah, like kind of unsettling. You know, do you ever read uh, Paul Pope's Batman Year yeah. One Hundred? Yeah, I think it would have been that type of Batman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Deep cut. Yeah, no, that is a deep cut. <laughs> Absolutely, kind of underrated. That great. Like, oh, it's so chunky. Yeah, and, it's great. Yeah, fantastic. Um, you know, I do think uh, Christian Bale brings a little bit of his American Psycho. Yeah. Uh, performance to yeah, this as definitely. well, which I really love. Yeah. Um, people often say, only a couple more questions, people often say they love Batman uh, because the movies are realistic, but are people confusing real-world reality with cinematic reality? Yeah, it, it's, yeah. What we, it's what we were saying before, just because they spend a bit of time going, oh, this is how the car works, and this is yeah. how the thing, mate. That's the, that is that is cinematic reality. It's yeah. not reality. Yeah. He's still fucking running around, like, you know, yeah. summoning bats with his sonars. Like, yeah. come on, dudes. Yeah. Like, the whole, he's riding around, he's riding a tank on fucking rooftops. Yeah. I mean, if you start picking it apart too much, you know, he doesn't kill that guy that they want him to execute in the in the yeah. uh, temple but he's probably but he's probably murdered fucking 500 people just blowing yeah. the place up so yeah. i mean you, you know i think um you know and, and this is something we'll get into by the third movie uh, and that's probably a criticism that i have to wrestle with in my own head sometimes with the third movie where i'm like it's not as realistic as the other two it's like, well, yeah, but none is of them it are. like like well, none of them are realistic? Yeah, none of them are realistic. Like, <laughs> you know, <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> like, and I I do feel like um, whatever he achieved in the second film mm. adds that. That's why I think the third film gets short shrift, be- mm. and people forget where it started. Yep. Where it like the the breaking of the cow in the first film is yeah. the exact same break that Bane does. Yep. You know, like the movies. Yep reflect each other and shadow each other in, in many ways. I, w- I will say, because I did the big rewatch at the end of last year. Oh, yeah. Uh, with my buddy Blake. And we did, I think, one movie every second night. Right. And I'm, and I, that's the first time I'd ever watched all three oh, in right. a row in that, you know, in such short time. Yeah. Uh, and i got to say, that was the time that I enjoyed the third film more than I ever have. Yeah. Because I could see those resonances. Yeah, you suddenly go, oh, yeah. hang on, this is a proper trilogy, yeah. you know. Yeah. I've, I did them all at IMAX a couple of times. Great way to spend the day. Whoa. You, you watch the first one, you have a little break, oh. watch the second one, and you're surprised how, how quickly it goes. The only well. three movies, I've ever, the only trilogy I've ever watched in a day is the uh, Lord of the Rings trilogy. It took 13 hours. Yeah, and I was, it was about to say. Like, that's fucking long... outrageous. Right. By the time they're on the side of the mountain, you're as exhausted and harrowed as oh they are. God. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Just even as an idea. It was wonderful. It was one of the best days of my life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good fun, but it was great. far out. Uh, but yeah, the... Uh, yeah, I think I think there's um, anyway. There's a lot going on with this first one, and it's, mm. uh, it's it's beautifully reflected as it goes along. What happens to Bruce Wayne if this is a real story? And uh, that was the question that I I told you that I had waiting for you. Uh, if, so if this is you know, so getting off the back, you know, everyone says, oh, it's realistic. It's like no, 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 it's not realistic. Yeah. yeah. So what what happens to a real Bruce Wayne who sees his oh sees murdered? his parents murdered? Oh, yeah. will he fucking probably. Uh, you know, becomes a drug addict that can do whatever he wants because he's got unlimited money and never yeah. deals with his issues. Yeah. And I mean, it, probably the sale of uh, 
Wayne Enterprises goes through because he has no idea yeah, what's happening. Yeah, of course. He's blazed out of his mind fucking yeah. models in Milan, like, yeah. or whatever. I mean, yeah. there's every moment of this movie, if it, you know, that moment where he saves Descartes off the cliff, well, his shoulder is clearly dislocated and he's fucked. Oh, like, yeah, it's just on and on and on. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think, um, you know, a real... Uh, did you ever see the animated film Batman Mask of the Phantasm? No, I haven't seen that. I've heard it's great. It is the best Batman movie ever made. It yep. is phenomenal. Uh, and that sums it up perfectly if you want to go into this real world yep. thing where the woman that he loves um, kind of says to him, like, this is a little boy's reaction Oh yeah, to their parents dying. Like yeah. this is really f- like what you're doing is fucked up, yeah, bro. Yeah. Like you're broken. Yeah, this is not normal. And again, it's the it's the folly of applying real world logic to this story. It's, yeah. Um, well, that's what I mean. Like if this is a real world world story and he just goes off the deep end and is insane. Yeah. Uh, I don't I think it'd take long to figure out that I, the guy running around on the rooftops is probably Bruce Wayne. Yeah. And we got to arrest the guy. No, no, no. But I, but like I, I, I mean, what I mean by realistic, yeah. I mean. He never gets like he doesn't no, become Batman. No, no, but that's what I'm saying. What happens to him? Oh, it's, he either he either doubles down and becomes a hardcore, you know, corporate raider, businessman, yeah. you know, psychopath, full Republican. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or Back he goes. Tr- he's or, hanging out with Trump. Yeah, or <laughs> yeah. or he, uh, you know, does what so many uh, rich kids born into impossible wealth do and just go completely off the fucking deep end. I reckon Rachel Dawes breaks her wrist because she doesn't slap him and she fucking punches him four times. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, there's a, you know, the, the moment that he stands up in the courtroom to, and when uh, Chill says, you know, someone from the Wayne family is here mm. and he stands up and then walks out, it's almost mirrored perfectly when the Scarecrow and that go in and he's Batman and he then steps down. It's that same kind oh, of right. look of slightly out of focus in the background. Mm, you know very I mean? good, very good. Uh, and my final question for you is, and I feel like I know the answer to this, could this have been turned into a TV series? And, <laughs> and how long? Yeah, how good would it of be course. as a TV series? Of course. Have you heard that they're going to do, it sounds like they're going to do Gotham Central as oh, a series? See, that would be a fantastic, like, uh, I never, I, I watched a couple of episodes, but I found it to be just uh, insufferable, the Gotham TV series um, that came out a few years ago. Yeah. Um, I always felt I, like it was a lead up to Tim Burton's Batman, rather than... Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was the, like, whatever, whatever. I'm sure there's people that love it. But I always envisioned it as a Gotham Central type thing where yeah. if you get, you know, you don't, you don't need much of Batman. You oh, need little yeah. flashes, you know, and it well, keeps the mystery going. You you know, treat him as a... Uh, for anyone who hasn't read it, it's this great series it's by great. Brubaker and really Rucker, great. which it's like NYPD Blue yeah. set in the Batman universe. Yeah. And they're kind of... Some people don't quite know if he exists. Some of them really dislike him because mm. they're fucking up their investigations. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got cops being fucking frozen solid by Mr. Freeze. Yeah, like yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's great. My favourite detail of that series is that there's only one person that's allowed to turn on the bat signal. Oh, yes. And it's, the I think, the receptionist. Right. Because she's got some kind of legal immunity to go and summon him. But if yeah. the cops do it, they're then legally... Um, you know, complete, aiding. Uh, yeah, aiding and abetting uh, yeah. a vigilante and all the rest. It kind of gets into that real world, like what what if this was actually happening yeah. in an actually interesting way, not yeah. in a like, how does he fill up his car? Like, yeah, yeah. it's actually very interesting, the legality of it. Yeah, it's done really well. And mm. it's, I reckon it's one of, it's genuinely one of the most terrifying depictions of the Joker. Yeah. 
Because suddenly you're seeing him not contrasted against Batman, but mm. against ordinary people, and yeah. you go, "Oh my god!" Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hang on a sec. We were all scared of clowns. That's <laughs> right. Um, some uh, squid bits. We we've already touched on uh, a few of the things. The three notes Bruce plays on his piano to get into the cave are B A and T. Oh, really? Which obviously spells tab. Uh, Heath Ledger. <laughs> sorry, I had to put that in as a little joke. Um, Heath Ledger had a chat very early on with Nolan about playing Batman, but Ledger said he'd never make a superhero movie. <laughs> then saw the film and obviously went, "Oh, hang on a sec." Mm. Um, one of the reasons Batman Begins has that uh, air of terrorism is uh, because Nolan is influenced by James Bond movies, and he said that while they're over the top fantasies, they still dealt with real-life anxieties Mm. like the Cold War. Since the movie was set in a big American city after September 11, this is why terrorism was the subtext of the movie. And with that in mind, Nolan said, I felt a responsibility as a filmmaker to create, first and foremost, entertainment uh, and something that people could feel a distance from and enjoy, but I also felt a responsibility, even as an entertainer, to be more honest about my fears. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I've I've made the joke on stage about how it's the perfect post-September 11 blockbusters. Mm. And once again, I think one of the things that people hold against The Dark Knight Rises is what it's dealing with is something that's actually an unpopular feeling. Mm. So, you know, this first one is terrorism and, you know, that was something we were happy to discuss. And the second one, surveillance, Surveillance, weirdly enough, was something that we were happy to discuss. But the third one deals with when you think everything's going to be fine and it's not. And that Mm. is not a really popular thing on a subconscious level that you want to have a chat about. Here we are in 2020, folks. Yeah, right. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Remember when 2020 started and we all thought it was going to be okay? Yeah. Mm. Feels like so long ago. Um, Jesus Christ. Nolan also said that Tim Burton created a world that Batman fits into. So that's why you get this great gothic vision for the character. Mm. But what Nolan tried to do was create a Gotham that was ordinary, so he could appear as an extraordinary character against the background oh, of an ordinary world. F- that fucking shot. I think it's just after he takes down Falcone. Oh, yeah. With, where it's just scanning over the city yeah. and he's just standing there in shadow on yeah. top of one of the buildings and you almost don't even notice him. He looks yeah. like a part of the architecture. Wonderful. Yeah. They, 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 um, that's always like every time you get a little touch of that in mm. the movies, it's like, oh, there mm. it is. Bum, 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 bum. Yeah. Uh, Nolan spent a lot of time having us watch Bruce Wayne become Batman because it circumvents any suspicion the audience might have. So if you're sitting there going, oh, this is a bit insane, what you're doing is you're watching him become the character, yeah. so then you're in. So uh, And he also used that in Inception because he didn't want viewers thinking the world didn't matter because they're just dreams. So mm. he allowed the audience to see the process of the creation of the dream, which then means... What you're doing is you're not fooling the audience. Mm-hmm. It means the audience is complicit in fooling the character. Yep. Yep. Great. Um, if Gotham appears close to our world, we need to see Bruce Wayne's reasoning and process. And uh, But then by the time you get to The Dark Knight Rises, this is why you don't need to see him return to Gotham once he leaves the pit because it's already been set up in this movie. Thus, continuing my argument that people who don't like that movie didn't watch Batman Begins. Wait, 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 wait. Elaborate on that. What do you mean? Well, you've already seen you've already seen how in Batman Begins you've seen him live without money, you've seen him live ah, that life, you've seen I him get around. Thought about so then that. so then in The Dark Knight Rises, how how does he get from the pit to the thing? It's like well, we've already seen how resourceful he is 
yeah, in Batman course, Begins. Of course. So, like, sure. don't get me wrong. Like, if someone if he added another thirty five minutes where I saw how he did it, I'd be wrapped. But, but you just, don't need it. Yeah, he was just in low level orbit and sky dove in or something. Mate, Why, he gives he's a Batman. shit. He's we've, Batman. We've had we've had like <laughs> we've had six hours of movies. Like we don't need to see it, right? I think it was. I think that's another Grant Morrison quote. Whenever you whenever you ask how to do that, the answer is always he's Batman. He's Batman. <laughs> Relax. You're missing you're missing the point of the enjoyment. Uh, and then finally, I found this to be really funny. I hadn't read this before. The rubbing the chest because the arms will take care of themselves is not something no. people should necessarily do. Nolan just made it up and he said he pictured Boy Scouts. I, I knew that bit, but I hadn't read this. He pictured Boy Scouts all over the world freezing to get to death because of this. But of course you believe it because it's Liam Neeson saying Yeah, 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 yeah. It's Schindler himself. Who yeah. could doubt him? I'm not going to doubt Schindler. <laughs> and you also kind of forget, I don't think he'd really played a bad guy up until this movie either. So, is that true? Yeah. yeah right. So, you know, you're always used to him being a good guy. So you do, even even when some of his methods are a bit off, you mm. still... Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. He's but, a profoundly reassuring man. A reassuring presence. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Even the... Um, even the... the when it's his birthday and they turn up and he's got a, he's got a nice little bit of mm. swagger, you yeah. know. Uh, you left me for dead, my house burnt. Consider the favour returned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he, you know, great Alfred Turner. What's the point of all those bloody push-ups? And anyway, it's got heaps of jokes. Yeah, of course, it's a great film. Yeah, yeah. but uh, as we've as, as we've said in previous pods, um, there's a lot of humour all through Nolan's films. Yeah, it's just not you know, doing. Yeah, so. Yeah, just yeah. pay attention, people. It's all good. Like I'm saying that to the people who dis who don't agree with us, and why are they listening to this podcast? Yeah, I don't think they are. <laughs> Everyone's on our side. <laughs> um, do you have any last thoughts on uh, Batman Begins? Was there anything that we didn't cover? Oh, look, I was as I said to you before we started recording. I tried to find. I know these movies have been yes. looked at a lot, but I was trying to find. Yeah, no, I think you did. Uh, look, uh, for me, uh, my two favourite moments, and and they've probably been discussed a million times, but I don't have the internet, so I don't know. Uh, the, uh, I swear to God, swear to me, is my favourite moment oh, of the yeah. entire film. Yeah. Uh, and of course, the final scene on the rooftops, uh, with the Joker card. Oh, yeah. And just, I still remember the first time I saw that, just the... You know the goose pimples over my entire oh, body yeah. because it is the final scene in Batman U One. Yeah, um, you know some guys threatening to poison the water reservoir. This is his card, yeah. And just what that implies, and without you, even having to say it. Oh man, and you know, like I haven't really got because uh, I figured at some point we would, and I didn't want to get too much into actors who we, we're going to have more opportunity to talk about. But mm. Gary Oldman, like, Great. is. It's such a you, you know Gary Oldman mm. is has always been a great actor, but mm. usually in more flamboyant roles. Yep. And to see him playing such a straight down the line character, yep. what it did was it kind of gave he gave Gordon this energy which made mm. sense that he would be won over totally by, by this the idea of this idiot dressing up as a as a bat yep. you know like yep. uh also underrated moment is and it pays off beautifully in the third film is when he goes and consoles young Bruce. yeah yeah puts, yeah like such beautiful 
Yeah, and I think um, you were saying before that maybe this was one of Liam Neeson's first bad guy roles. I if I recall so. right, this I think this is one of Gary Oldman's first good guy roles. Oh, yeah. Or yeah, at least yeah. just decent man roles, not yeah, fucking, yeah. you know, whacked out, you know, Dracula or <laughs> the guy from Leon the Professional. Oh, uh, yeah. The, the, like a sweet man. Yeah, yeah, just a uh, good guy. Yeah, good guy. Know? And and again, very reminiscent of the Gordon from year, year one, one, where you really, you know, he is a decent man in an yeah. indecent system. And yeah. so he's at his wits end. So you can understand why he aligns with this freak show in a in a bat costume. Oh, yeah. I also love um, re-watching it. You, it was years before I heard this, but you know how, because uh, Christian Ballard made The Machinist mm, beforehand, and yeah. then... And then uh, Christopher Nolan said, "Oh, you're going to have to be big." Yeah, but then got he, got, he got too big, <laughs> and then and then all the crew were like going, oh, "Is it Batman or Fat Man?" and <laughs> hanging shit on him. So then he had to lose weight. But it's funny knowing that now because you've I've watched the movie so many times. It's it seems like they must have filmed a lot of the scenes in the Narrows when he's in the full back yeah. costume because you can see it kind of yeah. pushing out underneath the... Yeah, he's uh, massive. He's massive. Massive. Like, yeah. massive. Yeah, like, you can't move properly, brother. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, at first I thought he couldn't move his neck because of the suit, but I think he couldn't move his neck because he couldn't move his neck. <laughs> but, um, yeah, <laughs> there's just some scenes where you go, oh, yeah, I can see why he had to lose some weight. But, totally. um, yeah, look, uh, a really good... Rewatch. I was so glad I hadn't watched it for a while and yeah. uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. Funnily enough, the only thing that I was like, oh, that's dated ever so slightly, is some of the CGI, and it's it's actually the CGI of the buildings of Gotham. Yeah. Like, but it's so minor. The monorail has dated a little bit. Just but yeah, fine. but so minor, Whatever. you know. And also, uh, you know, you forget that. They didn't quite have the budgets that they have for later films. Like this is, mm. you know, like Nolan's still not a big star at this point, yeah. and this film did well, but didn't do gangbusters. Mm. But did like it did well enough to warrant a sequel, mm-hmm. and probably found, you know, people were probably burnt by the character of Batman by Batman, this point. So uh, forever was that the final oh, Batman Forever and Batman and Batman Robin and, Robin and all that kind of, of stuff, course, and yes. uh, you know, so this was probably found quite a bit of a an audience on uh on video to help propel yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the what was going to happen with the sequel but as i said nolan's still not a superstar yep. and his uh his next movie once again is still kind of even though it's got big stars in it and a bigger budget mm-hmm. it's still kind of indie in a way. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think it's easy to forget these days that it was really Dark Knight was the one that uh, that's that when launched him. It Dark Knight is that thing where it's like, oh my god, this movie's so great, and now because of this movie, there's going to be a whole new set of eyes on it. And I I saw this in the, in the day, you know, when pe- when it kept getting more and more fans and people raving about it. I was like, oh, I can see what's going to happen in the future. And funnily enough, that future was like like the weekend just gone where someone's like, well, The Dark Knight hasn't aged well, has it? You know, you know those articles? Uh. Oh, isn't this overrated? And then you get all the comments. I was never into it, you know, all the... And it's like, mate, you know why you're all doing that? Because yeah. it was great. It and, was it, great. and it broke new ground. And yeah, then what was happened was... It's like going back and saying, oh, Pulp Fiction's not very good. Yeah, mm. you know what happened? Heaps of movies were influenced by it. And yeah, yeah, you yeah. have to remember... Yeah. But also, if you take some time away from it... Like, I, I think I told this uh, said this to you recently. I 
I didn't like Pulp Fiction for a very long time. Right. And I saw it in way too young. Uh, and then, you know, it, it is difficult if you are engaged in the discourse not to be influenced by the opinions of other people. Oh, yeah, for and sure. And so I reckon I went probably 15 years without watching Pulp Fiction and it yeah. always just kind of like, yeah, what a Pulp Fiction. Yeah. I watched that six months ago. And I was like, I was having like an out of body experience. It's right. like, oh my god, yeah. this is so fucking good. Yeah, uh, and you know, it's so trite to say it's like, oh, the, you know, the Rolling Stones is a great band. Pop yeah. Fiction's good, but yeah. fuck, it is fucking outstanding. But I needed that distance. Yeah, for from sure. From the discourse, yeah, and the memory, all of that stuff, and from the influence, yeah, uh, to really reappreciate it. And I think if people could step back from Dark Knight and spend some time away and I really need to do that. Like, uh, I, I don't need to watch that movie for a long time because yeah. I can close my eyes and watch that yeah, movie in my absolutely. head. Absolutely. Um, but it is, it's outstanding. There's a, you know, it's the, it's the old Groucho Marx joke of you'd never want to yes. belong to a club that would have someone like you totally. as a member and you feel that way about Nolan fandom. It's like, wait, 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 wait. We were, we were on board mm. from Memento. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> don't, yeah. don't lump us in with the people who you, discovered from the dark night yeah totally he says putting his nose in the air like a typical <laughs> snob but uh i'm looking better than all of you better than all of you uh looking forward to chatting about the prestige which you forget has golem wolverine batman black widow and my dad so that'll be good <laughs> Before I bring Stav back to the show, I'm going to talk to you with a little bit more depth on Tenet. But while I'm not going to give too much away, I will be adding a bit more minutiae. So if you'd like to turn off the podcast now, why don't you just save this part and come back later when you see the movie? Okay, does that sound like a fair deal? Let's just wait for those people who want to to leave the room. And now it is just you and me. As I was saying earlier to you about Tenet, this is Nolan's Bond movie. And with that in mind, I arrived at the end of this film with this feeling that maybe, like just maybe, this is going to be a new franchise for Nolan. I know Inception could have more movies made in that world, but to be honest, Cobb's story feels like an ending, and I don't know if I have much interest in returning to his character. This, on the other hand, feels like an origin film. John David Washington is so good as the protagonist, and the film hits a spot at the end where you feel like this is just the beginning for him. There's even a timey-wimey vibe to the film, and if you're across the term timey-wimey from Doctor Who, I'm sure you can guess what that could imply. Especially if I throw a name in your direction, say the name Riversong. Characters who don't make it out alive could possibly return in subsequent stories. And if my gut is correct, maybe we'll get a couple more of these films over the next 10 years. Of course, this might not come to fruition if COVID stops the movie from making the money it would need to make to be a big hit. But fingers crossed it at the very least makes back its money so we can see more of this new hero. I didn't talk about the music earlier because I wanted to get into it a little bit more here, but Ludwig Göransson's score is off the charts. There are notes that strike a nerve with me emotionally. I'm not articulate enough about music to explain that feeling, but if you watch that trailer, that note the piano hits early on, it hits me in the chest every time. And with the music being infused within the film, it gave me a shortcut to the emotional beats the story hits. And I'm sure this is 
its whole intention. There are also amazing moments as the music plays backwards, as the action changes direction, which really does my head in, but in such a good way. I think this movie is just fun, but to say it is devoid of emotion is to be a little blinkered. Debecky's character wants to be reunited with her son. As someone who comes from a single mother background, that is more than enough emotion for me, and a, and a mother's attention and desire to protect her child from awful men is one that I recognise. I also like that Robert Patterson's character is on a different path to John David Washington, and while that might not seem important at the beginning of the film, it does mean something at the end. Where some people think Nolan is cold, I see him as restrained, and he doesn't spell out the emotion that rages underneath. I don't think he over-eggs these connections in the film. You have to think about it. You have to look between the beats to engage with these moments. Now, I also understand maybe you don't want to work that hard to find these connections, but I'm just saying they're there if you want them. But as I said earlier, this is a ride, and when Travis Scott's song hits at the end, it felt like the perfect full stop on the whole experience, the type of song you'd hear just before being told that Bond will return. Yes, the movie is confusing. Yes, the MacGuffin is difficult to get your head around. Yes, essentially, it's preposterous. But it is ambitious and chock full of imagination that jostles between muscular physicality and David Lynch Black Lodge-esque surrealness. It has English style and deadpan wit. It's easy to be dismissive of genre movies, and it is also easy to deride Nolan for wanting this movie in the cinema. If you want to be cynical, anything and everything can be shit. To be honest, I have enough pessimism in my world. I have enough cynicism hanging over me. If you want to feel better about yourself intellectually while you wear a beret, drink coffee and rest your legs on books about French cinema while pontificating about the implausibility and logic inconsistencies in this film, go for it. I'm actually not against your world. I even enjoy visiting you at times. But when someone I admire and enjoy brings out their latest work, I'm all in on the experience and I go in with every intention to love the art and love the entertainment. A new working class hero barely hiding in plain sight amongst the rich and elite who play games with the world? That's a protagonist I can get right behind. I got everything I wanted out of my tenant experience and I hope when you have an opportunity to see the film that you do too. Let's bring Stav back to talk more about Tenet. I haven't read any reviews or anything because, to be honest, I went along on Saturday and really just sat in the cinema and had a really good time. Did you go with anyone? Yes, I went with my um, friend from work, uh, Parente, who's a uh, young kid, but he's a movie movie gun. And um, we, we were dying to see it. And he actually saw it. He did a U. He saw the 2.30 with me the six o'clock with his girlfriend and the nine o'clock on his own. Maybe he's my son. (laughs) I just felt like it was the exact movie I needed to see at this point in my life because for two and a half hours, I didn't think about COVID. I didn't think about how I haven't worked for months on end. I didn't think about how am I ever going to see my family again. I didn't think anything other than the entire experience that was boring into my eyes and permeating my spine. Well, I think it, it does come with that, not baggage, I guess, but there was something, I've been saying this to people today, like, like when people asked me what the movie was like, and I was like, do you know what, just to sit there and watch something unfold in front of your eyes that you didn't know where it was going to go, because all we've been able to see is old films and films that you've seen before, yeah. to see an original story play out with something, just going to the movies was an emotional experience to begin with as well, uh, and then to get a, a 
such a great film on top of that. Like I, I took um, Rory to go see um, Spies in Disguise. Not a great film, but it, I was in the cinema almost in tears going, I'm at the movies, you know, and it was, yeah, you know, so there is, there is that with it. But um, good gosh, I mean... I don't know what your um, screening was like, but loud. It is loud <laughs> in a good way. It's interesting because he, and he talks about this all the time. He wants to make movies that give you the sense of when you were a kid and you saw films and, and you, and you had that emotional experience and he, he's trying to show you something that maybe you haven't experienced before which is a really interesting thing to be going for. I I didn't do much reading at all in the lead up to this because because it kept getting pushed back. It was almost like I had to not think about it because I didn't want to get excited that I was going to be seeing it soon. And then when I finally bought tickets, I like this is a bit embarrassing to admit because I am technically a 47-year-old man, but I was kind of grumpy for the week leading up to it because I just felt like there was an outbreak waiting to happen here in Sydney. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, even when I, because I didn't realise you were in Sydney, when I texted you and I was all apologetic, look, I don't, I don't want to sound like an asshole, but I'm going to see Tenant on the weekend. <laughs> yeah. And then I accidentally, I, te- I didn't read the news story about the Masked Singer uh, and I texted Osher and I was like, I, I saw Tenant. He's like, dude, I can, we're not going anywhere for years. Like, Sorry, man. Sorry. <laughs> so I loved it. Like I was really into it. I don't think it is like I, it doesn't hit me, say, emotionally like a like an Interstellar or a Dunkirk. But I would put it more in the realm of Inception where I'm really into it. I understand all the characters' motivations and I'm being entertained from the beginning to the end. Do you, did you have a kind of similar reaction to it or do you see it a bit differently? No, I, I was saying uh, when, we, when we walked out, we both said that it's a, it's, it's a spiritual cousin or even like a spiritual sequel to Inception. They're very, very similar in, in a lot of aspects. Um, but yeah, it doesn't have... Maybe they try a little bit of emotion with the girl and her son and stuff, but it doesn't really play that hard. So it's not... There's no, there's no tears to be had, but I, I don't think it's any less of a film because of that. But it's... Um, yeah, and it's that thing he does so well with the soundtrack of it never stops. Like, there would be scenes in that that are okay scenes, but if he, they didn't have that thumping, ticking time bomb thing going on in the in the soundtrack they wouldn't be anywhere near as effective you know the movie's constantly propelling you forward and and deeper into it which is i love the way he does that he treats music as a character completely yeah i thought john david washington was fantastic as as the lead so good and then i even had the thought it's a funny thing to think but can you imagine him taking his dad to see that movie and his dad just be like oh well done son you know like yeah i know you've won an oscar but i've done this <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah and he doesn't i don't think he has a lot of you know there's no sort of father-son comparing with him he, he is who he is it's not like a oh it's denzel's kid he's his own entity and he's very very good so which is lucky but that, that can be that can be a drag if you've got a famous dad you know and it's interesting there's there's lots of character beats in, in a movie that is all about spectacle there are character beats that make me like the character really quickly such as you know in the opening scene when he realizes that all those bombs are set and They've done their job. They're just meant to get out. And he goes back in and there's a throwaway line where it's like, you know, it's the people in the cheap seats that they're going to kill. And that immediately sort of says to you, oh, okay, well, he's he's aware of that. He's not just going to go back and save them. He knows that they are the lower income people. And that also plays out in 
the way he dresses early on and when he's speaking to Michael Caine. He obviously doesn't come from money. He's just a guy who does his job but is aware of what's going on around him and obviously has a level of empathy, which also plays out in the fact that it is not a love interest with DeBecky, which I really liked. He literally just wants to make sure she's all right and can be with her son. And that's nice. Yeah, there is no hint of, you know, even sometimes when it isn't a love interest, they'll still have a kiss just because it's Hollywood and, you know, but there's there's no hint of that. And she's great. She's been great in everything that she's she's done. Um, and yeah. stunning, just very, she's captivating to, to watch, you know. She's just got something going on. Kenneth Branagh eats up every scene he's in with a knife and fork, <laughs> but in a good oh way. <laughs> yeah. The scene where he describes what he's going to do to Washington... I wonder if there were any takes where everyone just burst out laughing because of the absurdity of how aggressive he's being. But there are times when, you know, you have those close-ups when he yells. Like, Branagh is also, like, he can choose scenery and also suddenly pull it back and then do something where you go, oh, that was actually properly scary. Yeah, yeah, he's not um, he's not Malkovich in Rounders. Give the man his money! <laughs> <laughs> Now, I wish Malkovich had been in this in some way. (laughs) See what he would have brought. The pace that the movie uh, rolls along, and then in hindsight, you realise all these character beats that are going on, which rewards multiple viewings, such as the first time Washington and Patterson meet up. Uh, Patterson says, I'll have a drink and he'll have a Diet Coke. And it's like a throwaway scene. It's like, oh, this guy has done his homework. And I think uh, Washington even says that. But then... At the end, when you realise, oh, they've been friends for such a long time. Mm. So didn't notice that until you mentioned it. it's true, of course. There's a kind of haunted look to him, which makes sense once you get to the end of the film. So I'm curious, I hadn't done any reading in the lead up, and then I got to a third of the way through this film, and I was like, oh, this is his... James Bond film. Once again, as you said, with the comparison to Inception, it's like, oh yeah, this is a Bond film. And then I got to the end of the film and I'm really curious to know what you think, but I'm convinced that this is his new franchise that he is setting up because we can have Patterson for the next two movies because we're going to do a River Song. For anyone who hasn't watched Doctor Who, you meet the character of River Song the last time that she lives, but it's the first time that the Doctor meets her and so we can have Patterson in the next two movies because he's going to be meeting him at a, at different points but would he does he have a thing against sequels though Nolan because everything he does is so original you know I don't know would he would he dive back in or is he like when he when he does something he's like that's it that's done I've played with that I've played in that sandbox now let's find another sandbox well that's how he approached Batman Begins like they put all their eggs in the in the first movie's basket and then when they were making the second film, when he decided to come back, like he did The Prestige, and then it's like, oh, yeah, I've got ideas for The Dark Knight. And if any other movie director, The Dark Knight would have finished with the Joker being captured and Harvey Dent becoming Two-Face to set up the third film. But he didn't want to leave anything to chance because he didn't know if he wanted to come back for a third film. Then he goes off and makes Inception. And then he comes back and makes it Dark Knight Rises. And I'm wondering, like, this feels like, I don't know, there was just something to it. It's like, if we get Tenet and then we get something new and then we get a sequel to Tenet and then we get something new and then we get the third film, it feels like there's the potential for it. Or, the, I mean, the other thing is, I don't know, because a lot of his films, 
they do get pointed at, at, at a Bond calling card. Do you think he would do a Bond? So the one bit of reading I did before we had a chat now. So normally he, he does screenings for everyone who's working on the film that they're about to make to give people a sense of what they're going to do. So when they made The Dark Knight, they watched Heat. And uh, when they were making Dunkirk, he put on All Quiet on the Western Front. So people just had it in their minds while they were making it. And then for this, he didn't do any screenings. And he said, we, we all have the spy genre so in our bones. What he wanted to do was work from memory and a feeling of the genre. And in that way, he's not referencing Bond or any of the movies that came before it. He can just give you something that feels original because he's not looking back at anything so therefore the canvas is blank. God, Tarantino would have a heart attack. <laughs> <laughs> In one of the taglines for the film, it's, it, I think it says it's time for a new hero. And I suddenly could see a through line from Bond to Bourne to Ethan Hunt to Washington's character who is delightfully only called, even in the credits, the protagonist. Great, great. And there is sort of, if you make a Bond movie, there are parts of it and tropes of it that you have to, to make it a Bond film, that you have to adhere by. But with this, he could make his Bond film and he doesn't have to have, as an example, DeBecky and Washington be love interests. He's just a good guy who is doing his job. Yeah, yeah, because you're, um, you're contractually obliged to add things to Bond like it's in the yeah it's in the contract that he must have this he must do that and all that sort of stuff so yeah, yeah that's true um, but you know if he if he ever got one I would I would watch it <laughs> I think he'd do a I think he'd do a good job oh yeah like if he did a two and a half hour movie about someone trying to find the last phone book and reading from it I'd see it seven times at the cinema <laughs> yeah <laughs> he'd, he'd read it backwards of course so you know great I even thought the music that played at the end added to the sense of it being a Bond movie as well, because normally I, I don't think he's actually had a song play at the end of a film since The Prestige when he had Tom York playing. So it, to, to actually hear a, a song by Travis Scott really added to the sense. And it also felt like an origin film because it's like the protagonist in the end, you realise, oh, this is the beginning of Tenet. He's, he's starting the business that begins in the future and he's starting it now. Want to go back and see it again, obviously, but the soundtrack is reversed in some places. When, yeah, they're, when, when they're inverted, it's definitely going backwards. And... and there's lots of really clever moments in the film where the first time they have that fight uh, when the plane comes in through where all the art's kept. Remember there's a scene where Patterson is chasing one of the, you know, in inverted commas, bad guys, and they get around the corner and he stops and then looks and then runs the other direction. And then in hindsight, you realise that's because he's discovered that it's the protagonist under that. Therefore, time is being inverted while they're going forward. And so something's going on that he has to be aware of. But that, that scene is there early on there's all these scenes where once you rewatch it you'll go oh it's all planted well um the the girl jumping off the boat do you wonder because we are, were doctor who fans do you, th you feel like we've had the perfect training to go in to see a movie like this well it's it's this weird thing and i i do it i've said it to cat my wife um about um rick and morty and i said it about tenet but i had to say i don't know how to say this without sounding like an asshole but it's really clever. It's super intelligent. It's really, um, it's it's really cleverly um, done. 
I don't think you'll like it because some people. I think I think you could be annoyed by it. I think because the, the especially the first half before it flips, you're kind of. But they keep on saying it to you. They keep on saying, "Stop thinking about it. Don't try to work yeah. this out. Just enjoy it." You know, and you have to you have to do that. Um, but I know that some some people can't can't dig that. So yeah, I can imagine if uh, if you're looking for something a little bit more emotionally resonant and you don't want to have to look for it, then you could be not into this film. But but for me, I it, like I think the ending is bittersweet knowing that Patterson's going off to do that job and that's the end of the friendship for him. But it's it's only the beginning. And I, like, I intellectualise that and not not to say that that is trying to be clever, clever, but I understand intellectually how that is actually a kind of sad ending. But I think if you just aren't into that type of stuff, you'd be like, well, nothing, there was no emotional resonance. So it's like, well, I've... I've I felt like there was heat. Also, the other actor that didn't recognise at first when he popped up, Aaron Taylor Johnson. Like, it took me ages to work out who that was. And then I was like, man, he looks good. Yeah, I was like, I, I thought it was, but I had to, I was like, is that, is that him? And then his accent yeah. as well was was very, very good too. But yeah, I Googled just to make sure when I came out and yeah, he, he was great. Well, I feel like you could have all of those people come back for a new adventure and it be like we still, but once again, I, I think you're right. Like you could just leave it and let your imagination fill in all the other adventures. But I don't know. I was I was really into the protagonist. I really want to see him recruit Neil for the first time. Yeah, there's definitely there's multiple ways they could take it if if he chose to. Might be a bit I don't know in this in these unprecedented times would it it probably won't make the money that it would have in normal times. Do you know to to warrant a sequel? I think it'll still be hugely successful, but I think it would have been more of a if it was normal and you know it made twenty billion at the box office. Then I go yeah cool we we might think about it, but this sort of scatter shot um, opening that it's going to have might might do some damage to its being done again but you never know i mean the world's the world's changing every day yeah well you know it's uh it's interesting isn't it i think you know nolan obviously gets points on how well it does at the box office and i think his desire to, for it to be at the cinema like he's going to take a hit financially but i think he believes in giving the cinemas some content to play you know i, I i've seen a, a little bit of backlash of people kind of making fun of him for trying to so-called save cinema but it's like the reason he's doing this is so people have jobs and people can go and have an experience and you could watch mulan for 35 dollars on top of your 6.99 monthly rental and that would have been the easier way for warner brothers to go completely Completely. But, you know, he is, God love him, because there's not many of us left, but he's a big screen guy. And, you know, I don't anyway, but if I ever saw anyone watching Inception on their mobile phone, I would smash that phone out of their hands. And, <laughs> you know. If they, if they were definitely watching it for the first time. Yeah, 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 yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Like if you just need a taste of it, like you're walking down the street, oh, geez, I need a bit of Inception. Oh, I'm back. Do you have uh, any last thoughts on the movie? Like we, we have kind of talked a little bit vaguely about it but you know he really got his money's worth with the crashing the plane and he did he did but not in the way i think when you read that sort of thing not in the way you'd expect like yeah. it wasn't hugely you know kaplowy it was it was done because it needed to be done but that that's something i do love about him because it's so 
when and I, I blame George Lucas doing things practically, there's no substitute for. And even you know, like your Blomkamps who use CGI to make it look real, not look not make it look like they're using CGI to go look at what we can do. You know, it's uh, you just can't fake it. You can't fake the shadows, the way the light hits th- real things. You know, um, yeah. the Mandalorian did that really well um, yeah. with all that sort of stuff. So yeah, so, so as long as he just keep on giving him money to blow stuff up. <laughs> That's the only reason that I have any interest in the box office. Just make as much money for the people who only care about money so they keep giving you money to make things that make me happy. Yep, yep. Thank you, Nolan. That's all I'm asking for. Before we go, was there a standout actor? Were you you wrapped with the the Michael Caine cameo? It was delicious. Michael Caine was great, as he always is. It's another thing I do enjoy, though, with, with directors that do that, when they get their little troupe. And they'll just keep on plonking them in. I, I was surprised there was no Cillian Murphy, to be honest. Uh, he's normally a, oh, yeah. you know, a bit of a stalwart. But no, everyone was fantastic. And, and Pattinson is getting more and more interesting as his career goes on. And, and so is um, Washington, too, actually. He, he hasn't made a bad film. I have to tell you, it was just really nice seeing a hero who's short, especially when he's uh, standing next to Elizabeth Debicki. Why would you make a Bond film where you have to hit these certain tropes where he can just, yeah, I've got a, an African-American man who's short, as the hero, and there's this really tall, blonde femme fatale who never wears slinky clothes but always looks fantastic, and there's no love interest. He's just trying to do the right thing by her because her husband's an arsehole and she should be with her child, so I'm just going to do the right thing. And I got to the end and I was like, yep, thank you. That's everything I wanted. I will see this 117 times at the cinema. Thanks for coming and uh, chatting to me uh, about this. <laughs> this is... This has been a much calmer conversation than the one that we had after we'd directly seen it, where I think if anyone had recorded that conversation, it would have sounded like it had been scripted by Stan Lee because it would have been Comic Sans all in capitals with lots of exclamation marks. Thanks for that, Stan. In true Tenet form, we're either at the end or the beginning. But before I go, a big thank you to Stav Davidson and Ben Elwood for being my guests today. For Sydney people, I thought you might be interested in this. I'm locking in some dates to put on a live Big Squid show at Giant Dwarf. And uh, hopefully, if you're in Sydney, that would be something that would appeal. I'm guessing it will probably be a bit of a variety show. I guess like this podcast, actually, where we'll have some stand-up, we'll have some music, and we'll have people talking about the stuff they love and that they're right into at the moment. So if this sounds like something you'd be interested in, come over to our Facebook page and let me know your thoughts. Also, for people who aren't in Sydney, we're looking at streaming the show online for you as well. So I'll keep you in the loop as we make more plans. You'll have a real opportunity to see how this pandemic has aged me. (laughs) I was looking in the mirror the other day and I went, holy shit, you are a dude on your way to 50. Thank you, pandemic. Thank you, COVID. If you're enjoying Big Squid, please recommend us to your friends and leave us a nice review on your preferred streaming platform. We're gaining some momentum, so it'd be fantastic to have some new listeners on board. I've still got some extra stuff coming your way, which I will hopefully be able to reveal on our next podcast. Remember, I have some blogs and short stories over at my site, justinhamilton.com.au, and you can join our private Facebook page where we really dig into the minutiae of the stuff we love. Today, I'm going to leave you with a quote from Sir Michael Caine. 
Do you know that the harder thing to do and the right thing to do are usually the same thing? Nothing that has meaning is easy. Easy doesn't enter into grown-up life. I guess that means since life has been hard lately, maybe that also means we're doing the right thing. Until then. sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusion Supply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.